This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's Frank Morano. Celebrating their 100th anniversary, essentially, as a company. And as far as media companies go, as far as entertainment companies go, I think there's a strong case to be made that Disney might be the most successful entertainment company in history. I used to work for Disney. I worked for a radio station that was owned by Disney. And uh, as an employee, or they, they didn't call us employees, they called us cast members, I thought they were fine. They were fine. Uh, they would give – I didn't go to the parks much, but uh, they would give us free tickets to the parks. And my father and stepmother would go and other people would go and I would give them the tickets. So that was a nice little perk to have. I could kind of take or leave the Disney animated films, The Little Mermaid and uh, Beauty and the Beast, Lion King. Not really my thing. Even as a child, I really didn't like these. My wife – Completely disagrees. She loves all of these Disney animated feature films. So one of the things that's been happening over the course of the last, I guess, five or six years now, Disney has been taking their classic movies, the classic animated films, and they have been remaking them as live action things. So uh, live action film. So, for instance, The Lion King, instead of it being a cartoon, instead of it being something animated, it's recreated with, um, you know, lions and sometimes digital imagery, things of that nature. And it's kind of cool. I've seen some of the things that they've done, and it's it, it's pretty effective, in, especially if you remember the animated film. It's kind of fun to see how they rework it to be live action. Well. One of the films that's being reworked now is Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. I think most of us have seen Snow White. It's been around since, I think, 1937. And now we are seeing a new controversy because the director of the original Snow White, his son, is speaking out over this live-action remake. And he's saying that his father is turning over in his grave over this live-action remake with Rachel Zegler. Why? What's the problem? Well, according to what um, what uh, the son is saying, there's no respect for what Disney did and what my dad did. So this is not new. Disney backlash is not new. Disney's such a big company. There's always backlash, whether it's from Ron DeSantis or... Uh, from the from this community, that community, whatever. But first, in as far as the Snow White film, the star Rachel Zegler, her casting as Snow White has been criticized because she's of Latina Latina descent. Peter Dinklage called the live action remake an effing backward story 
that he said was offensive to the dwarfism community. Disney later responded that the film would not be reinforcing stereotypes over differently abled people. Now you have David Hand, who's the son of the director of the 1937 original film, saying that Walt Disney himself would disapprove of the new woke direction of this feature. And uh, he's saying his father would certainly disapprove. And David Hand himself worked as a designer in the 1990s for Disney. So he's he's been a Disney cast member himself. Hand told the UK Telegraph that... Disney would be Walt Disney and his father would be turning in their graves if they were allowed if they were alive to see the new Snow White. It's a whole different concept and I just totally disagree with it and I know my dad and Walt would also very much disagree with it. He added, it's a disgrace the studio was trying to do something new with something that was such a great success earlier, saying their thoughts are just so radical now. They change the stories. They change the thought process of the characters. They're making up woke, new woke things, and I'm just not into any of that. I find it, quite frankly, a bit insulting what they may have done with some of their classic films. He continues by saying there's no respect for what Walt Disney did and what my dad did. And uh, as, as I indicated, he said, I think Walt and he would be turning in their graves. So lead actress Zegler has expressed her own disdain for the original story and shared that she was not a fan of the first film. She says there's a big focus on her love story with a guy who literally stalks her. Weird. So we didn't do that this time around. And she added that the movie is really not about the love story at all, but instead about the character's inner journey that she goes on to find her true self. Now, there's been a lot of other remakes and continuations of the Snow White story And I think some have been pretty good. Some have been not so great. But I think, you know, Snow White, like a lot of stories that have been around for a while, it's a story where you can allow people to take a little bit of creative license and go crazy. That's why I wonder, are the people that are upset about this, are they are they being a little too uptight? I honestly I understand where they're coming from. Because here you have this classic children's film that's been fine for about 80 years, and they're remaking it to be essentially more PC. I don't know what exactly they're doing, but they they say they're not going to be reinforcing negative stereotypes or any stereotypes. I'm sure that has something to do with how things are going to change with these seven dwarfs. And the love story where this guy, according to Rachel Zegler, who's the actress, who literally stalks her, that's going to be changed. So Zegler says that this revamped live-action Snow White character is not going to be dreaming about true love. She's dreaming about becoming the leader she knows she can be and the leader that her late father told her that she could be. What's the matter with someone dreaming about true love? I don't think there's anything wrong with dreaming about true love. I mean, I think a lot of young women and young men, quite frankly, dream about finding that ultimate someone and getting swept off their feet in such a manner. Again, I don't love the kind of fetish for royalty that a lot of these Disney films have. I would love to see a Disney film that celebrates democracy or populism and people banding together to uh, fight City Hall 
on their own rather than rely on a benevolent dictator, which is a good king or a good queen versus a bad king or a bad queen. So the co-stars of this Snow White version are Gail Godot and uh, Anshu Kabia. The film is set to hit theaters in March, but it is already generating a ton of controversy and a ton of interest. It's not clear beyond the changing of the love story what exactly, to me anyway, that David Hand is saying is too woke about it. So I I don't really, if I knew what exactly his beef was, I could have more of an opinion. But what he is saying, and I get it, is that a lot of younger viewers have never seen the original, and I don't know what, and and don't know what they're talking about. He says it's a whole different concept. I totally disagree with it. I know my dad and Walt would very much disagree with it. I am curious if you're bothered by this. Do you care if they rework the story of Snow White? I I, 800-848-9222, 800-848-9222. I'm of two minds about this. In that one, I mean, it's a children's movie. I don't care that much. But I get get what people are saying that it's a classic children's film. Just keep the story as it is. The story's fine, and it doesn't need to be remade and reworked, especially to go along with this newfound politically correct ideology, which it seems like they're so often shoving down our throats. But my view is, if you don't like what they're doing, just don't go see it. Just don't go see it. And I'm usually hesitant to express opinions about films that I haven't seen. And obviously, this remake of Snow White, I have not seen. But a lot of Disney lovers feel this way. They're critical of the studio's different spin on the story And uh, they don't like that uh, Snow White is being treated differently than the original character was in this remake. So you want to comment, I'd love to hear from you. 800-848-9222, 800-848-9222. Let me tell you what's coming up. Uh, The one and only Lloyd Lindsay Young is going to be joining me in about uh, 15 minutes. Lloyd Lindsay Young is probably the most famous, most accomplished living weather person in America. And uh, it seems like he and I are always getting together to chat whenever there's bad news. But he's a great guy with a great energy and a great personality. And uh, I'm looking forward to getting his take on what's happening in California. If you're watching any of the coverage about Hurricane or Tropical Storm now, Hillary... It's going to be bad. I mean, hopefully it's not going to be that bad. We'll find out from Lloyd exactly how bad this is going to be. They're predicting within the next 10 to 12 hours, wide swaths of the country, not just uh, Los Angeles and Southern California, but places like Las Vegas could be experiencing a real bad situation. So in California, they're talking this is going to be the first tropical storm that they've had in 26 years. They're talking about widespread flooding in Nevada, where we have a lot of listeners on the Nevada Talk Radio Network. They're talking about uh, 50 mile per hour plus winds. So there's uh, there's a lot going on there with respect to uh, this trap tropical storm Hillary. We'll find out how bad it's going to be and what impact it might have in your area, wherever your area is. 
happens to be. We have uh, commendations coming up a little later and a bunch of other fun things that I think you will enjoy, including some highlights and uh, highlights from my weekend, which I uh, I think were I had a pretty good weekend. I hope you did, too. 800-848-9222, 800-848-9222. And uh, Kenneth is, again, still in Puerto Rico, which I didn't realize. But we have uh, we have filling in for him uh, Kevin. So don't get them confused. I think he's going to be back tomorrow. David is in New Jersey. Hello there, David. Hey, Frank. How are you? I'm doing just peachy. Thanks. Well, I, yeah. So, yeah, I'll talk about the snow, I think, because I think the one thing you're missing is there's a great there's a great thing on TMZ about it that's no longer the seven dwarfs, seven magical creatures that are ethnically, um, genderly, and every other way diverse possible. Yeah, it's so I don't understand what Peter Dinklage's problem with how the dwarfs are treated in this version of the story was then. But if it's that, look, I get that, right? I, I know that in 1937, you could use terms that you can't use now to describe people that are vertically challenged. So I, I get that. But um people are really upset that they've changed the the story. Are you bothered by it at all? Do you care? I'm I'm just bothered by it because I see it as a children's movie, and it's moving away from being a children's movie to be another preachy movie. And this is why Disney's failing. Yeah, I do wonder, do you think, uh, I mean, we've seen a little bit of a uh, blowback towards Disney. The stock, I believe, has uh, dipped a little bit, and the profits at uh, some of the theme parks and elsewhere has dipped a little bit. Do you see that continuing? Yeah. I mean, if you look at their last five or six movies, they're all flops. Yeah, I mean, um, I know, I know they, they're they, not doing well at all, and they just laid off like you know a couple thousand people in not in the parks, but in the actual production companies. Yeah, I saw that, and uh, I, I I know they have a couple of films that they're they're banking on between now and Snow White to try and uh, to try and uh, you know kind of get their mojo back. But it sounds like you think a lot of a big segment of the population is so turned off by this that they're not coming back. Disney used to be about storytelling. Now it's about preaching. And I think that's what turns people off to it. That's what turns me off to it. Were you a Disney fan? I was. Yeah, and you're done. I, well, I'll, I'll watch the classic stuff. But the, all the remakes, I mean, honestly, you can't come up with a new movie. Well, that's not a, a problem that's unique to Disney. That's an everybody problem. I mean, look, if, if no, you... for sure. You know, I, I, I think what it is is... It, it's it costs so much to market a film. So if you could take a concept that's already well known and proven successful, like the um, you know the the uh, uh, the Ghostbusters franchise or Transformers or uh, the Fast and the Furious franchise, you save yourself an enormous amount of money having to introduce that uh, that concept to people that are already familiar with it and already like it. So that's not. I, I get what you're saying, but that's a problem with all of Hollywood. That's not just a Disney problem. Oh, no, absolutely. But the other problem is they're not making that much money anymore. It, you know, all the remakes are not doing well. It's maybe one in five, one in six that actually – I mean, Barbie's an exception to the rule. I mean, but if you look at the number of other remakes that have been made, you know, you know Lion King's a long time ago now. It's not like it's the last couple of years. 
the last five years or so have not been good to Disney. Yeah, the the most recent one, the most recent one that I'm aware of was The Little Mermaid, and that I guess did not do well. Nope. But isn't the Haunted sure Mansion doing well? Uh, no, I don't think so. But that's not really a remake of anything. That's just a ride they turned. No, I know, into I know. But it is. A, it's a Disney, uh, right? But yeah, you're right. It's not an animated film that they turned into a live action film. Hey, David, thanks for but, the call. I mean, the Buzz Lightyear wasn't great. The remake, yeah, you know, with the, or the next chapter of it. You know, as they get more preachy, the profits go down. Until you said that, I actually didn't even remember that there was a Buzz Lightyear uh, film. That's very interesting. David, thanks for the call. Appreciate it. 800-848-9222. If you want to comment, 800-848-9222. We're going to talk with Lloyd Lindsay Young about uh, Tropical Storm Hillary in a bit. we got uh, denunciations coming up and uh, a bunch of other fun stories that you may have missed and some pretty serious stories that you may have missed throughout the course of the uh, of the weekend. Uh, Matt, remind me, are you a Disney fan at all? Not particularly. I mean, I watched the movies as a kid. Right, but you didn't watch Little Mermaid a hundred times. No. Yeah. I mean, I did see The Lion King in the movie theater when right, it came out because me it too. was a huge movie. But I haven't, I think I saw, is Monsters, is it, Monsters, Inc., is that a Disney movie? Now it is because they took over Pixar. DreamWorks. Oh, well, DreamWorks. Yeah, uh, oh, yeah, no, yeah. you're right. It is Pixar. Pixar. Yeah. So Pixar is under Disney. So I, I think I saw that in the theater, but I, but I don't like the whole live action remake thing i think i guess people always thought oh it'd be so cool if this cartoon was real people and now it's like well you're changing the entire story well it's that's not even the same yeah i don't have a problem with i think it's kind of fun to see this, something you know is a cartoon see it made as a, a live action thing if when you're changing the story i i get why people are upset but i still do have a tough time getting too worked up over this, right? But uh, we'll see. My my view is if people uh, if people want to go see it, go see it, enjoy. But uh, otherwise, I don't think it's uh, I don't think it's that big of a deal. But to David's point, maybe it's symptomatic of uh, just a, a trend that we're seeing in. I hate to use the term, but this is the term that David Hand is using in wokeness in places where you didn't see wokeness previously. I guess we'll see when the film comes out. All right. Uh, we'll chat with Lloyd Lindsay Young about Tropical Storm Hillary in just a bit. This is The Other Side of Midnight. We'll take your calls as well. 800-848-9222. 800-848-9222. We're on Twitter as well, at Frank Morano. That's Frank M-O-R-A-N-O. We'll, uh, actually, the social media network formerly known as Twitter, at Frank Morano, now called X, which I still can't get used to. Uh, at Frank, M-O-R-A-N-O. Lloyd Lindsay Young will say hello to us straight ahead. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. Born on a mountaintop in Tennessee, green estate in the land of the free. Raised in the woods, so he knew every tree. Killed him a bar when he was only three. Davy, Davy Crockett, king of the wild frontier. Fought single-handed through the engine war till the creeks was whipped and the peace was in store. While he was handling this risky chore, made himself a legend forevermore. Davy. 
Ah, yes, the immortal Davy Crockett, folk hero, frontiersman, soldier, and politician. And uh, he actually celebrated his birthday three or four days ago. And uh, we really had to mark the occasion by playing this song. We didn't get to do it four days ago, so figured we'd make up for lost time now. And especially with a lot of people really concerned about the weather in certain parts of the country, it's such an upbeat, fun song that, uh, you know, if it gets people in a good mood for for 30 or 40 seconds, why not? I am always thrilled to be able to talk with uh, the greatest weatherman I know, a legendary TV and radio weatherman who has become an icon on both coasts for his weather prognostication and the way that he says hello. I am very pleased to welcome back the great Lloyd Lindsay Young. Hello, Lloyd. Hello, Frank. Uh, Good morning, New York. Good evening out here in California. What a wild wild day the wild wild west really living up to its name frank for the first time in history a tropical storm warning was issued for southern california now the hurricane center uh well it was organized in 1950 and it's the first time it's ever happened it's unprecedented and what happened today was rather remarkable and as the great yogi Berra said it ain't over till it's over and it's far from over We're getting very heavy rain now in the Los Angeles basin. Flash flood warnings are out. Rainfall amounts are amazing, 6 to 12 inches all over the greater Los Angeles area, as far north as Bakersfield, Fresno, California, east, Palm Springs, normally in the hundreds, was in the 70s today. Heavy, heavy rain, Frank. Uh, Some significant flooding there also. Right now, Tropical Storm Heather is centered over downtown Los Angeles. Now, Frank, a lot of people might wonder, you know, it was a hurricane originally. Why did it weaken? Well, the answer is the ocean temperature. At the L.A. latitude, Los Angeles latitude, the ocean is about 69, 70 degrees. Now, where Heather formed, Frank, Hillary, it right? was Hil- Hillary. The, uh, Hillary, Hillary, I beg your pardon. Where Hillary formed, it was 85 degrees. So, you know, it weakens. It feeds off warm water, Frank. So it's turned out to be a humdinger of a day. And, uh, you know, flooding is rather massive over Southern California. We have rock slides. We have highways closed. The Pacific Coast Highway north of Los Angeles between L.A. and Santa Barbara Close. And on top of that, are you ready? An earthquake, which has nothing to do with weather, hit near Santa Barbara in a oh. town called Ojai, just to shake, rattle, and roll. Uh, magnitude 5.1 on the Richter scale, about 3 o'clock uh, yesterday afternoon, Sunday afternoon. So, yeah, it's been a wild, wild day. It's going to go all night long, and it's, it's just so bizarre. Meanwhile, you know, in the Midwest, uh, it's hot and humid. Texas has had unbelievable heat. In New York, it's going to be 90 degrees today, a little cooler later in the week. But, boy, you know, usually, for example, the Weather Channel. All the years the Weather Channel has been on, the first tropical coverage is either on the Atlantic coast in Florida or in the Gulf of Mexico. 
Now they sent all their troops out to Southern California. Isn't that bizarre, Frank? It's weird. It, so it, what it, do you know? Any questions at this point? It's just phenomenal. Yeah, a few questions. You know, I was surprised. I guess I didn't realize. I, my brother-in-law lives in Southern California, and he was uh, sending me maps showing that uh, where he lives is very much in the eye of the path of uh, or in the path of uh, Tropical Storm Hillary. I didn't realize how rare tropical storms were in Southern California. I think a lot of us, uh, they think, all right, well, you know, California is a coastal state, uh, just like New York is. They probably get tropical storms from time to time. Why have uh, tropical storms historically been so rare in this part of the country? Very simple, uh, because the ocean is way too cold, as I mentioned earlier, Frank. The uh, the Pacific Ocean, you've got to go way down to the southern tip of Baja near Cabo, and even south of that, off the coast of Mexico, to get those warm tropical waters. You know, that's where the water temperature is in the 80s. Now, let's take, uh, well, what's been going on in Florida this summer is absurd. The water temperature is 101 down near Coral Gables. But in general, in general, yeah, that was amazing, in general, uh, the ocean generally, uh, like the Gulf of Mexico right now, is in the upper 80s, and uh, it needs warm water this time of the year to read it. That's the fuel to keep a hurricane a hurricane. The other thing, you know, about Hillary is it moved amazingly fast. It just roared up uh, the Baja coast of that Baja, California, into the San Diego area. It's still moving at 23 miles an hour. Now, this is so amazing, Frank. The precipitation from Hillary is going to spread as far north as Idaho and Montana. Can you imagine that? It's just amazing. That is wild. I mentioned before you came on that Las Vegas is also expected to get some very bizarre weather in the coming day or two. Is that a reflection of Hillary as well? A hundred percent. One hundred percent. You know, Frank, the National Guard put 100 boots on the ground, and they are literally, it's already flooded. Now, another thing I want to explain to our listeners, the desert is so, well, obviously it's arid, but the ground is so hard, it just can't, it just can't handle small amounts of precipitation. All right, let's take a place like Birmingham, Alabama, or Nashville. They get six inches of the rain, not a big deal. Palm Springs today, out in the desert, Resort town, a lot of people go there in winter. Uh, they they are also having serious flooding because two three inches of rain there is a big big deal. So so far, Las Vegas has had about an inch and a half. More is going to go all night long and into part of tomorrow. Now another amazing thing: Death Valley, California, all right, the hottest place in the world in California is below sea level. They've had an inch and a half of rain. And they're flooding, and they're, the roads are closed. We also, down in San Diego area, we have boulders on highways. A lot of highways are impassable. As a matter of fact, Los Angeles, four major airports, Los Angeles International, Burbank, John Wayne out in Anaheim, and Long Beach, for the most part, the airports have been closed. Nothing coming in, nothing going out. As a matter of fact, we've had over 100 flight cancellations already in Las Vegas. So this storm is bizarre, and the term bizarre is almost an understatement. Yeah, it certainly seems that way. If people are just tuning in, we're talking with uh, Lloyd Lindsay Young. 
So, Lloyd, as of now, I know you've, you've indicated that uh, the next few hours are going to be rough and the preceding few hours have been pretty rough. Have you guys experienced the worst of it yet, or is the worst of it still to come? I think the worst of it happened maybe within the last six hours, but it's definitely not over. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, the further the weird thing is the track of Hillary came right over San Diego and up on into the L.A. area, Los Angeles, where it is now. And it's tracking rapidly north into the Central Valley of California. And, uh, however, I do think, optimistically, by mid-morning tomorrow, it'll be pretty much over with. Then the massive cleanup begins. Now, Los Angeles, the second biggest city in America, was supposed to have public school tomorrow. Not going to happen. All schools are closed in the greater Los Angeles area. So this is really a big, big deal. Very rare. Very rare. It's it's virtually unprecedented, you know. I know you alluded. Here we are late August. You alluded to the conditions in the Midwest, and uh, we're being heard on uh, KMOX in St. Louis right now. Great station out in the Midwest, and they're saying sure. that there's a heat dome over the central United States that could actually bring the hottest temperatures yet to parts of the Midwest. What kind of heat are we talking about, Lloyd? Well, we're talking about gut-wrenching heat and humidity. Now, we have a thing. Now, first of all, uh, Frank, Texas has been atrocious this summer. Dallas, Houston, uh, San Antonio, that is spreading north. So the subtropical, very strong, high-pressure area in northern Mexico, that say south of Galveston, moved north and is continuing to move north. Now, there were parts of Iowa today where the heat index is actually the reverse of windchill, where what it actually feels like. And there were a couple of small towns around Des Moines, Iowa, where the heat index was up to 123, which is ludicrous, but it really was. So, yeah, St. Louis, you're in for it. This week is going to be wretched. Uh, temperature, heat indexes, 110, 115, like that. So, yeah, it's spreading north. Now, in the Northeast, uh, really, to be honest, Frank, you guys have had a relatively mild summer. I know it's going to be 90 today. Oh, it's been great. Compared, yeah, you're doing real well. But compared to what's happened in Texas, oh, and I can't forget Phoenix, Arizona. Got to mention that. They had 31 consecutive days where the actual temperature was 110 or greater. Now, that brings up a controversial subject. So I'll ask you a question, Frank. Is this climate change? What do you, what's your take on that? Well, I, look, I'm, o- I'm always hesitant to weigh in on this because I am not a scientist. But I, I think the two things that uh, there's very little, uh, very little debate about are, one, the Earth is getting hotter, right? There can be a debate about what, what's causing the temperature to go up. So it's clear that whatever is causing the temperature to go up, uh, I, there's, there are some things that are changing and leading to things like uh, wildfires and things like uh, that whole thing. But the other thing is, and I, and I appreciate the fact that this is a more nuanced discussion and that other people have looked into this much more closely than I have, my understanding is the the overwhelming consensus among scientists that follow this stuff is that uh, that, yes, it is climate change that's due to man-made uh, fossil fuels. But I also don't think that people that uh, subscribe to that 
should be trying to stifle discussion or refer to people that may think differently or have questions about that as climate mm-hmm. deniers. I, I think it's it's healthy to have a, a robust discussion about this. And I'm actually working on putting, um, a, you know, a debate together on that subject. I just I get very upset whenever anybody tries to stifle conversation about it. But, yes, I think uh, I think it's very likely that this is due to man-made, uh, you know, m- or at least man-influenced climate change. Absolutely. And as I mentioned earlier, you know, I think you gasped a little bit when I referred to the fact that the ocean temperature, uh, I don't know, a couple of weeks ago, down by uh, Key Largo, Florida, 100 and more than the ocean. I can't kind of imagine. destroying the coral. It, well, it really happened. And there were a couple of other spots uh, near southwest Florida down there in the ocean, it was 98 degrees. It's so hard for me to envision. It'd be like having a hot tub, you know, right off the beach. I mean, it's, that's amazing. So, no, I don't mean to be political at all. To me, Frank, this is just science. It's real. <laughs> and as I used to say on the air. No, so this has just been a, a crazy, crazy hot summer in America. I mentioned Texas. You alluded to St. Louis, absolutely true. Iowa was real bad today. And this coming week, I mean, in Texas, I mean, honestly, I'm not trying to pick on the Lone Star State. There is no relief in sight. We have long-range computer models that are pretty accurate, Frank, that go out 10, 15 days. Honestly, I guarantee you the entire month of August and maybe into early September, nothing under 100 degrees in Dallas, Houston, San Antonio, Austin, or any of those places. Mm. It's just been wretched in Texas. Horrible. The worst summer ever, and also in Phoenix, Arizona. Uh, Lloyd, it is so. always a treat to chat with you. And uh, are, you still have power, right? I know I heard uh, power outages were going yes. to be a thing yes. that Californians were expected to contend with. But you're you're all good so far. Yeah, so far, I, you know, actually, this is more, to be blatantly honest about this, this is more of a flood problem. See, that fortunately, because Hillary didn't turn out to be a hurricane in California, it's, it's a water issue. It, it's flooding. That's the main event with Hillary. The winds, fortunately, uh, generally under 50 miles an hour. So the power, yeah, the scattered power outages, but it's not massive. And to be 100% honest about this, I think it was slightly hype, if you want to go in that direction, mm. but it was 80% kosher, if you know what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> Lloyd, it's always a treat to talk with you. Thank you. All right, Frank. Great to be on. Thank All you. Right, my pleasure. 800-848-9222 if you want to comment. Or if you're uh, in the affected area that we're talking about here, 800-848-9222. Uh, curious how you are faring with this whole thing, oh, we got uh, commendations coming up as well. Oh, look at this. I alluded to uh, my brother-in-law, David, in California, and he is uh, on the line right now. David, how are you guys uh, holding up with all this? Uh, we're doing all right. Uh, the flooding's pretty bad. I think we're kind of in between uh, bands from the hurricane right now. And uh, so no no power outages or anything where you where you are as of now? No, we're actually, we're pretty good for right now. Um, I think the L.A. area is a lot worse than us. We got, I don't know how many, I don't know exactly how much rain we've gotten, but it's the worst flooding I've ever seen. The worst you've ever seen? And you, you're from the New York area originally? Well, the worst over here. No, oh, I New see. York's gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. yeah for, Cal- for California, it, the flooding's bad. 
Mm. And um, I know, you know, when whenever it snows in a place that they don't typically get snow, like Washington, D.C., for instance, the whole city shuts down because they have no idea how to react to snow. I'm curious, given that uh, that that part of the country isn't necessarily accustomed to this sort of flooding, are people losing their minds because there's all sorts of flooding? Well, yeah, it's not just that people are losing their minds. It's that the, the city and the state, they're not, it's not built for it. Like in New York, you guys have sewers and mm. all this. We don't, have, we don't have any of that over here. We have very few sewers. So especially where I'm at in the desert, uh, when, when it floods, it just, it just sits. It sits. It pools. Like I got my, my neighbor's got a lake in his yard. I got a river running through my garage. It's just it, – it's, you know, you just got to make do with what you have. That's why they're passing out sandbags and all that other stuff. And now I know that uh, that you work in law enforcement. When you have something like this, severe flooding and uh, just weather that's causing things to be uh, a little bit more a little bit more crazy. What sort of uh, what sort of unique challenges does that pose to you guys? Uh, emergency emergency personnel, first responders. Does that make just the act of getting to work or responding to an emergency a lot more difficult or or do you guys have contingency plans for that whole situation? No, oh, yeah, it's just, it's just a massive headache. I mean, we're not really doing the rescues. That's more going to be the fire department, but obviously if the if it's if it falls right in our lap and it's going to be five ten minutes before the fire department gets there, then we're going to act. But um, yeah, it's just man, it's kind of chaos with the with the flooding out here. Um, I just don't think there's there's enough preparation for it because it's so unusual. Like how often does New York and Florida get hurricanes? They, it's just a tropical right. storm, but it hasn't happened in like eighty years. So yeah, of course you know people people don't know what to do. I mean, you could plan all you want, but if you know if the infrastructure is not there, then well, yeah. I know it was just your birthday. I guess you should have used your birthday wish much more wisely than you ended up right. doing. <laughs> yeah, I messed that up. <laughs> All right. Well, stay safe. I appreciate you calling in and uh, and, and keeping the country informed. And uh, uh, just stay in touch. Let us know how you're doing. We're, we're, we're praying for all you guys. Yeah, absolutely. Good to hear from you, Frank. Tell the family said hi. Absolutely. Likewise. Uh, my best to right. Jolie and uh, Natalie. Take care. 800-848-9222. Hey, Tom is in Maryland listening on WCBM. Hello, Tom. Yes, uh, the woke objections that form the basis of the remake uh, seem absurd on their face. Uh, as to the stalking issue, while it's true that it's a mild tort to uh, kiss a sleeping person without their permission, uh, you'd have to be a very wealthy Karen uh, for the nominal damages you get of $1 to make the legal candle worth the game. Uh, and in, from Sleeping Beauty's standpoint, if she knows she's going to be asleep for 100 years, she probably doesn't really want that to happen. Even if she ages more slowly while she's asleep, most women probably prefer to get that romance in their early years and when they're more fresh. And from the prince's standpoint, uh, his options are, well, I can be presumptuous and wake her without getting her permission, or I can wait 100 years when I'm 120. Now, he's probably thinking to himself, I don't know what I'm going to be like when I'm 120, but my guess is I won't be able to do her much good at that age. So that seems ridiculous on its face. And well, then this I mean, takes us into the second issue, the feminist objection. 
that the queen is being betrayed in a bad light because she's seen as a bitter woman jealous of a younger woman's beauty. We have to remember the queen is evil. Anybody that poisons somebody with an apple is inherently evil. And I doubt that the viewer should be sympathetic that an evil woman gets left alone at the end. Right, Tom. I just wonder if, you know, this is a fictional story. It's basically a fairy tale. Are we reading too much into it? Are, are we spending too much time analyzing the nuances of an, an, an animated and now live-action fairy tale? Yeah, well, they, which you have to ask the question, why are they making such a, a big deal out of nothing? Yeah, that's that's the kind of the question I am asking. Tom, thank you for the analysis there. We'll continue with your calls in a moment. 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. Sign at midnight with Frank Morano. This is Guns and Roses, November Rain, something a big part of the country is needing to contend with. I alluded to the fact that uh, Kenneth is uh, off again today, still in Puerto Rico. I don't know if he's going to be affected by any of this weird weather. Probably not. Probably different ocean and different coasts. Probably a different set of weird weather. So we have uh, we have Kevin in for uh, Kenneth. Kevin, what's your story? Um, well, right now I'm a college student oh, at Hofstra co- University. Oh. Well, what did we raid Hofstra? We got quite a Hofstra. It's like a total pathway program. That's great. That's yeah, we wonderful. have all these Hofstra people. Good. I like Hofstra. I went to baseball camp at Hofstra when I was a young person. It's a nice campus. I go to the Talkers Convention out there. It is. I was there this year too. Talkers yeah. first what, time. Uh, what? Uh, how, what grade are you in? I'm going into my junior grade. year. Yeah, rising junior. What grade are you in? Well, what do you say? What's the, what's, what year are you? Sophomore, what's the difference? freshman. What's the difference, grade or year? Because there's no grade in college. Yes, there is. What do you, what, what okay. do you think? A, a freshman is it's a, a freshman. Grade. But it's not like I'm in grade 13 All right, or 14th grade. All right, so you're a junior. You knew what I meant. He knew what I meant. I'm trying to find out where he is in his life here. You, you know, um... All right. Well, uh, well. Thanks. I know the uh, the overnight hours can be a challenge. So thanks for pitching in. I hope you're uh, hope you're enjoying it so far. Yeah, it's going well. I like the overnights. Good. All right. Good. Well, happy to have you. Thank you, Kevin. And you got big shoes to fill because um, who was here on uh, on Friday? Uh, Jake, right? Right. Jake. Jake. Is here. Jake got very favorable reviews from a lot of the callers from how nice he was. So we'll see. We'll see how well you compare to your 
fellow Hofstra student Jake. So uh, if you want to give uh, Kevin a, uh, a, you know, a test drive, 800-848-9222, 800-848-9222. Hope you did something fun this weekend. I organized a uh, a softball game on Saturday. We had perfect weather. I'll tell you about that a little bit later. And yes, on uh, Saturday night, I had some friends over for a fire pit. And even though it was dark, had one friend, uh, a judge, over. He looks at me and he just says, boy, you really need a haircut. When I came in to work a couple hours ago, a colleague of mine refers to the hair that's on my head currently and says, whoa, you got an afro on your head. So I wouldn't characterize it that way, but once multiple people start saying that I needed a haircut, it's clear that I needed a haircut. You know, I was going to get one last week, but it was one of those weeks where, you know, you ever, I don't know if you're like this, but when I'm at the end of a pay cycle, the last three or four days before your paycheck is scheduled to arrive, I am I am sucking wind, right? I mean, the car's got fumes in it, and there's no money left for anything other than the absolute essentials. But now I got paid on Friday, so I have a little haircut money. So I'm reaching out to my barber to see if he can squeeze me in this week because apparently it's a big priority for uh, for a lot of people. Sunday, we, um, you know, I went to this uh, this rally having to do with the migrants uh, being sent to my neighborhood. And I, uh, a lot of listeners, by the way, met a lot of folks there, great rally. And um, I was talking with some folks on Saturday because I had a lot to do on Sunday. We had uh, two different, three, actually, three different social functions that we had to get to, and I still have to prepare for the show. So it's not the most convenient thing in the world to go to, you know, uh, half hour from where I live and, and attend this rally. And my wife was saying... Uh, somebody asked me, are you going to the rally Sunday? Are you going to the rally? And um, my wife said, yeah, no, it's an anti-immigrant rally. And I said, no, no, it's not an anti-immigrant rally. And she said, well, but that's who it attracts. And I said, well, maybe some people like that are attracted to to these sort of rallies. But I said, that's all the more reason why it's so important that I go there. Because I think if you only let these important issues be hijacked by the fringe of a a movement, then they do become basically conventions of weirdos. But that was not the case at all on Sunday. And I was glad that I went because uh, not only did I get to meet a lot of great people, but I think it helps to have a lot of mainstream people there. And so uh, it's not, it doesn't become something that's just limited to the fringes. So uh, I did that. And then we, we did, uh, we went to Frank Fontano's barbecue and my Uncle Steve's barbecue, which was a lot of fun. You know, my Uncle Steve, I've talked about him before. His fiance is Filipino. And I had these flyers printed advertising when our show was on and uh, how people can listen to it, both the podcast and the live stream. And so a lot of times when I'm in a place that has a lot of people, even if it's a barbecue, I'll bring these flyers. Now, my mom, who it promotes me and promotes this show far more than I do, she brought a bunch of these flyers to my Uncle Steve's, and she put them out there. And so my Uncle Steve starts telling everybody, including his Filipino fiance and her family, that I'm running for president. And that's why that I was uh, handing out those flyers. And apparently, at least for a time, she believed him. 
you know, she's uh, English, not her first language. And, uh, you know, my uncle can be very persuasive when he's trying to bust chops. But uh, when I arrived late because I had to uh, go to another barbecue and the rally, uh, people greeted me as a presidential candidate. So uh, I hope they weren't too disappointed that I am not running. So that's that. All right. 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. Claude is in Baltimore. Hello, Claude. Hey, buddy. How are you, Frank? Great. Great. What's on your mind? Listen, we're going to talk about these storms, okay? Um, I was in the fire department for 20 years. I responded to Isabel. I responded to Gloria. I responded to a lot of them. Um, the only way you can handle these things is common sense. Get the higher ground and like you were talking about, La, what was it, Lahaina? How do you pronounce it? Oh, you know, I thought it was Lahaina. It looks like Lahaina, but it's Lahaina apparently. Okay, Lahaina. Okay, we're talking about that. The guy said he had no water. Okay, you don't fight a brush fire like that. You hit it with purple K from the sky because water's not going to do you no good. That fast moving fire, water's not going to do you no good. You're going to need like some purple K to smother it and then work with some water. Now, I don't know what the problem is that they didn't have water if there was an ocean there. They should have been able to draft from that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, it seems, as best I can tell, Claude, and thanks for the call, it se- and thanks for your service, it seems like they did everything wrong in Hawaii. It seems like every single thing went wrong here. I mean, it seems like the sirens, which were supposed to go off, didn't go off. seems like the text message alerts, which were supposed to go out, didn't go out. And it seems like... The utility company, which once they saw that there was a hurricane and winds capable of knocking down power lines, they should have de-electrified and powered down. And I think that they're being sued now. And I think they're going to have to pay out a fair amount of money as part of this whole thing. Those of you that are holding, we'll get to you. 800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Until next hour, help control the pet population. Get your dog or cat spayed or neutered. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's Frank Morano. that we've spent a little bit of time on on this program is the issue of Sasquatch, Bigfoot. And there is this new video that I just saw, which is pretty interesting. If you want to watch it, you can go to my Facebook page, facebook.com slash MoranoFan. And it looks like... Um, It's being described as incredible video out of the woods of Mississippi. It's going viral. 
that seemingly shows a Sasquatch darting through the woods and with some saying this is the best footage of the creature ever. Maybe we'll do a follow-up with a a cryptozoologist tomorrow. But the video was recorded years ago. It was recorded and posted to YouTube in 2015. And in a caption beneath the two-minute clip, the person that recorded it, Josh Highcliffe, explained that he came across the creature ripping bark off a tree trunk and throwing it to the ground. He added that he was afraid of the hairy beast after stumbling across it on a hunting trip. He said, I was out hunting hogs, just sitting in a part of the swamp before saying he heard a noise behind a tree. When I got around, I could not believe my own two eyes. There was this huge black, uh, black thing crouched by a dead cypress about 50 yards away. I thought it was a hog, but saw these big shoulders and a head upright with hands. The Mississippi man alleged that the creature was seven feet tall and did not remotely resemble a bear. He said, I don't know what to think, but many people in the comment section of this YouTube video expressed their astonishment at the footage with many people believing it's Bigfoot. One person said, I'm usually a huge skeptic, which ticks off my friends to no end. But I have to say, this is by far the best and most convincing footage I have ever seen. You know what I don't understand? I don't understand why, if this was posted back to in to YouTube in 2015, I don't understand why it's getting so much attention now. I don't understand why it's going viral now. But if you want to, uh, if you want to see the footage for yourself, go to my Facebook page, and if you want to comment, I'd love your take on this video. I don't think it's a hoax. The person that shot this strikes me as pretty reasonable, not the kind of person that's trying to pull a con on someone. But this is very convincing. It, take a look, Facebook.com/slash/MoranoFan. You can you can see the footage for yourself, and uh, it's pretty clear. Pretty, pretty clear. So let me know what you think. 800-848-9222 if you want to comment as well. Pete is on Staten Island. Hello there, Pete. Hey, Frank. I was at the rally. I heard you speak. You spoke eloquently like always, and uh, it was a good turnout. And uh, basically, I was across the street because I had foot surgery on both my feet like a jerk. I should have never did both at the same time, but I want to get it over with. And uh, I basically was, you know, I stayed, I was sat in a fold, you know, a chair across the street and listened to the rally and participated. And I want to thank you for coming out. Oh, well, that's. And I like your, I like your shirt. I like your shirt very nice. It yeah. looks very good on you. Thank you very much, Pete. Uh, I'm sorry I didn't get to uh, meet you or say hello to you in person. And I'm wishing the best of luck with your foot recovery. Yeah, a couple of people mentioned my shirt. I had an Uncle Floyd shirt. I was wearing an Uncle Floyd shirt that I picked up recently. I've been thinking about Uncle Floyd a lot. Obviously, I mentioned on this program that he recently had a stroke and he's recovering from it. I think he's doing pretty well. And uh, I, uh, you know, I'm, I've been very much in Uncle Floyd mood because of uh, of his shirt. Now, here's a question I have for you. And this has engendered quite a bit of discussion in my social group over the course of the last 48 hours. Friend of mine comes out. So I have um, one, two, three, four people over in my backyard in um, 
you know, the fire pit. Five people in all, actually. One was a husband and wife. So five people representing four different households. This judge that says I need a haircut, his wife, my friend Vinny, and then two of my neighbors, one male, one female. And the judge says to me, here's a discussion that came up at my house today. I guess they had family over, friends, I don't know. Here's a discussion that came up at my house. He said to everybody, what level of person do you what kind of relationship do you have to have with someone before you're okay with them going into your refrigerator and taking food and drink? And then we go around and my friend Vinny begins and says, everybody could take it. Everybody, anybody that's in my house can take whatever they want from my refrigerator. Then well, the judge asked him, well, what, what, what do you mean? What, what if you have a landscaper that's coming to do work in your house? You okay with him going into your refrigerator without asking? And Vinny says, no, okay. If somebody's there working as a worker, then I'm not. But if someone's a guest in my house, I think they should be able to take whatever whatever they want. My view was similar. I think if you're in my house as an invited guest, you can take, without asking, any drink you want from the refrigerator. I think food is a little different because let's say you're heating up something that's in there, heating up a sandwich. You don't know if that's something we're planning on eating or bringing to work. I think food is different. But if you want to go in and grab a beer or a White Claw or a bottle of water or whatever – I think it's all fair game. Now, my wife scolded me about three weeks ago. We were at another neighbor's house and we were, you know, maybe 1230 at night on a Friday night or a Saturday night. And we're, we're sitting around the kitchen table, you know, having a drink. And then I my neighbor who's hosting us is is three sheets to the wind already. And. As we're talking there, I finished my drink, and then I go to the refrigerator and grab a White Claw without asking, without asking, because I felt like we had that kind of relationship. The next day, my wife scolded me like crazy. She said, you, that was way out of line for you to go to the refrigerator without asking and just grab a White Claw. So anyway, I was, that was fresh in my mind yesterday as we're, I mean, on uh, Saturday night as we're having this discussion. So then my one neighbor says, absolutely not. I am not okay with anybody going into my refrigerator at all. He said, I will, if you're my guest, I will offer you food and drink. I will offer you repeatedly. Then my other neighbor said, yeah, you know, I'm pretty liberal with this kind of thing, but I want to be the one offering I know where everything is, and I'm, you know, I'm going to offer you. So we had varying views. On the food front, the judge said that he feels like if you're an overnight guest, that gives you rights to the food in the refrigerator without asking. I think drinks in the refrigerator are fair game. Anybody could take them. Anybody that's an invited guest, go in, take a bottle of water, whatever, and then Food, I think, is different. My friend Vinny says, whatever's in that refrigerator, if you're coming to his house, it's yours. And uh, my neighbors, Adam and Tara, they said, nope, they want to be the ones doing the offering. So it got me thinking, 
where do you come down on this? Is everybody entitled to take food and drink from your refrigerator, or is it only certain people? And what level of relationship do you have to have? Who are you comfortable with, go, without asking, going into your refrigerator and taking stuff, without asking? No one, as is the case with my neighbor Adam, everyone, as is the case with my friend Vinny, certain people, as seems to be my wife's contention, that you have to have a certain relationship before you get that status, or my view, which is anyone can take drinks, not no one can take food. Uh, 800-848-9222, that is the question. A question. Since before your sun burned hot in space... And before your race was born, I have awaited a question. Matt Blaze, maybe you're not a good person to ask about this because I feel like you entertain so infrequently. That, that is true. That you probably never have to deal <laughs> with this. But what is your view on who should be able to go in your refrigerator? I am with Rachel. As you have to have a close a relationship. In other words, if I am at my sister's house... Or my mother's house, I would have no problem going into the refrigerator for food, drinks, or anything else. If I'm at a friend's house, like a, my neighbor's house, let's say, unless my neighbor says... you don't says, talk to your neighbors, though. That's true. Yeah. But if they say to me, yeah, go over, there's the drink refrigerator or the drink cooler, go grab whatever you want. Now I have permission. But without the permission, I would not take it upon myself just to walk over to a refrigerator and grab a drink. Now, are you is that permission good for your the entirety of your visit? Yes. Yeah. So you get told once right. that take whatever you want and that's that's that. Now it's funny, Absolutely. my neighbor Adam, who doesn't think it's appropriate to just go into your refrigerator, he you know, he's very kind of old fashioned in a lot of ways, you know. He um I was outside one time. And, you know, we, we, we we're always out. It's like a, every day is sort of a block party. on our I was outside and he asked, oh, do you have a White Claw? And I said, yeah, go ahead in. Go ahead into my house right now. Go into the refrigerator. Get whatever you want. And Adam said, no, 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 I'm not going into your house. Not going into your refrigerator. Yeah, see, now that's not, I don't, I don't agree with that. So, you gave him permission. Well, yeah. And now... I have to stop the conversation that I'm in and walk across the street into my house and grab the white claw that I'm doing him a favor by giving him because he won't go in and just grab it. Now, I yeah, mean, that's weird. So it is what it is. All right. When do you think, seriously, it's appropriate to um, go into someone's refrigerator and take anything you want? Matt and Rachel say it depends on the relationship, the level of closeness. Um, my friend Vinny says anybody that's a guest in his house should essentially treat the refrigerator as if it's their refrigerator. My, uh, my neighbors, they have a different view, uh, at least the ones that were over on Saturday. 800-848-9222. Gary is in Inwood. Hello. Good morning, Frank. Uh, with my immediate family, my son, my sisters, my, once again, my immediate family, who I've known my whole life, I do not feel comfortable helping myself and i'm told wait 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 wait, gary 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 i just want to be clear i understand what you're saying you're saying even your immediate family immediate family i'm talking sister my son and i'm told let's say i'm going for a weekend don't tell me ahead of time don't let me have to ask you just go in and help yourself 
and I've never felt comfortable doing what? that. What? Even with immediate family? Immediate family. I just never felt comfortable doing well, that. How come? It's maybe me. It's and once again, I'm told, don't let me have to, uh, you know, tell you to go and do it. Just do it. And I, I've just never felt comfortable doing that. For whatever reason, I can't uh, put a handle on that. But it's just me myself. Uh, and once again, I'm told ahead of time, you're here for the weekend. Just help yourself. And I just once again. I've never felt comfortable doing now, that. Now, Gary, what about when you're the one hosting, when you have people over your house? What, what do you want people doing and not doing in terms of going into the refrigerator? I want them to do exactly what was told to me, in opposite. Well, what do you mean, in opposite? You, so you want... In opposite, doing exactly what they tell me to do and telling them just go help yourself. So you want yes, them helping whatever themselves? Reason, absolutely, yes. I can't pinpoint where that comes from. Interesting. But right. once again, it's, it's me. I so I just never felt comfortable doing. All that. right, thank you, Gary. Eight hundred eight four eight ninety two twenty two. Hello, Neil. Hello, Frank. You know, my whole life, I've never had one person go in my refrigerator to get anything. Never. Uh, I, I well, there's an alternative a reason. I mean, if somebody would go in there. I'd have to hide the pork chops behind the bottles of the filter fish. I'd be afraid that they discover, you know, when I'm really eating. So no, but I don't want that. Well, you have, that's very funny. But would you have somebody say, if they're over, hey, do you mind if I grab a bottle of water? I would get it for him. You would get it. So you, you yeah. don't want people going in your refrigerator? No. Well, how would you like to be a guest at uh, Jeffrey Dahmer's house and – <laughs> when he's not looking, you go in the refrigerator, you get a little snack, and you find a head in there. Well, I mean, you but, never but, know what you're going to find in there. Well, yeah, I know, but in, term, in terms of my hosting, though, I'm not worried about somebody finding a head because, I don't, you know, Rachel will clean all the body parts out. <laughs> you never know what you're hiding. Well, you say you go in and get a drink. What if the guy goes in and he grabs your bottle of Stoli and he starts knocking off the vodka and you thought he's going to get a bottle of Poland Springs? Yeah, no, well, the Stoli, the vodka I would keep in the freezer, not the refrigerator. But that's a, that's a no. But that's a fair point. Thank you, Neil. I I don't care what people are taking. You know, um, I if it's in the refrigerator, let them take whatever they want. In terms of drink, food, I think is a different ball game because if um, if you're taking my last cottage cheese, and I was counting on bringing that to work later that that day, that's a little bit of a bummer. Eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. Steve is in New Jersey. Hello, Steve. Hello, Frank. Hey, you know what? I have a, like a way the way I operate, and I, when somebody comes into my house, I tell them, "This is your house up until you leave, and then it's back to my house." So don't ask me. So you have you have basically the the open door policy that my friend Vinny does. If someone's a guest in your house. Although- Otherwise, they won't come in my house right. if I don't trust them. Right. I like that. I like That's that. Right. Yeah, don't, yeah but don't bother me, you know? <laughs> right. Just don't bother me. Exactly. And you know what? It's, it's worked for 40 years, okay? 40 years. Yeah, I'd like to see how it would work out if uh, if you and Neil were neighbors, because clearly you guys have uh, warring refrigerator philosophies. But uh, well, yeah. well, 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 the question is, how many do you have? How many refrigerators? Yeah. Well, I have one. On. It's pretty small. I'll bullshit up baloney. You don't have deep freezers, refrigerators, wine coolers. Come on. 
I'm a poor man. I wish, I, have I wish we did. Believe me, uh, that's it's a constant source of frustration that we have room for anything. I do. I do live alone, so so you know everything's stocked for my standards. All right, thank you, Steve. Eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. Boy, Steve was really surprised that we only have one refrigerator. Is that unusual? Do, do mo- mo- a lot of people have many refrigerators? I mean, that was the reaction that he gave me. To I only have one refrigerator is the reaction that I would expect if I said I don't have electricity. That was the reaction. And, boy, that was really something. Michael is on the Upper East Side. Hello, Michael. Hey. Hey. You go into my refrigerator, let's say we're sharing an apartment, and you take my milk container or my OJ container and start drinking from it, you're going to have a long fall from the 10th floor. But, but Michael, I mean, going in and drinking from a carton of juice or, or milk, that's a different ball game than going in and grabbing a bottle of water, right? Yes, I understand that. But I wanted to milk this for everything oh. it was worth. Well done. Well done, Michael. Thank you. On that note, uh, we'll be back with more of your calls. 800-848-9222, 800-848-9222. I will tell you the surprising true story of our so- our charity softball game on Saturday, and uh, we'll, we'll get to more of your calls as, as we go. 800-848-9222. We're also going to do uh, commendations in about 35 minutes. Big shout-out, by the way, to everybody listening on uh, KMOX in St. Louis, Missouri. Great radio station, one of the best in America. Honored to help the Missourians start their Monday and uh, start their whole week. So I uh, wish we were, were on there every day, but they, they like to do Morano Mondays in Missouri. So be it. Happy to be on it. But uh, I also would love to hear your reaction to this Sasquatch video or read your reaction. I just posted it, and uh, it's at my Facebook page, facebook.com slash Fan. I think it's pretty interesting. Did you watch it yet, Matt Place, this Sasquatch video? I tried to watch it on my phone. It's kind of small, so I couldn't really see All it right. that well. Okay, gonna... fair enough. All right, uh, we'll continue with your calls straight ahead. It's the other side of midnight with Frank Morano. Well, Mr. Burns had done it. The power plant had won it. With Roger Clemens clucking all the while. Mike Sosha's tragic illness made us smile. While Wade Boggs lay unconscious on the barroom tile. We're talking softball. From Maine to San Diego. Talking softball. Manningly and Canseco. Ken Griffey's grotesquely swollen jaw. Steve Sachs and is running with the law. We're talking Homer, Ozzy and the Straw. This is Talking Softball by Terry Cashman. This is a parody, I guess, of Terry Cashman's own song, Talking Baseball. It was done for an episode of The Simpsons, and it's a, it's a great episode of The Simpsons. I mean, this is when The Simpsons was great. 
And basically, Mr. Burns runs the Springfield Nuclear Power Plant, and he wants to win the softball game. So he hires all these major league baseball players to work in the power plant so they could play for the softball team. He, so he hires Steve Sachs, Mike Sosha, Ken Griffey Jr., Roger Clemens, Daryl Strawberry, Don Mattingly, and it's hysterical. It, the whole episode is, it might be my favorite episode of The Simpsons. It's very well done. And that song is just the, um, that was, uh, just the, uh, sugar on top. But anyway, the, um, Charity softball game that we generally organize every Saturday to benefit the Tunnel to Towers organization took place on uh, on Saturday. And, you know, we had to uh, we were on the fence about what time the game was going to be. And I was late to getting back to a lot of the players. So it kind of got thrown together somewhat last minute, but no big deal. We had beautiful weather. And I um, I was waiting for them to make the uh, the donation link to my Tunnel to Towers page available so I could send that around with the email blast. And uh, now we do have that link. That's on my Facebook page at uh, Facebook.com slash Morano Fan. So day of, no exaggeration, seven or eight people cancel day of. Now, this always happens, always happens, which uh, we may do a supplemental softball game in September. And keeping in mind the fact that so many people cancel last minute, I may be uh, – I'm just going to book way more players than we need. I'm going to book 35 players. This way, even if 15 of them don't show up, we still have plenty of players to play. Then my friend Brian Silverstein, who's quite a good softball player, so much so plays in in a league in New Jersey, he broke his finger playing softball. So he came, but he said, I can't really play. You know, I can't really bat, so I'll just play the field for both teams. So um, we ended up having enough players for a seven-on-seven game, and we would have Brian play the field for both teams, Brian Silverstein, and then we had the team that was batting pitch and catch them to themselves. So this way we were able to round out all the positions. So we get there, and I got a permit for this park. I mean, there were so many people canceling. I was saying, should we cancel the game? But, uh, I, you know, I paid what $31 for this permit, and I scheduled this. It blocked out my whole Saturday midday for this. So I said, Let, no, let's play. Let's do something. And we dealing with all every minute, it seems, a different person is canceling. Different person, all right, fine. So we get there. It, it had just rained recently maybe a day or two before, the field was in a total state of disrepair. There's puddles everywhere. It's it's a mess. So uh, my friend John Tobacco, who's one of the honorary captains, he flags down some people from the Parks Department, and they start shoveling and, and, and wheeling dirt onto the field in order to smooth things out. So then you have... Uh, three or four guys, mainly this fella Dave, who is the husband of uh, the terrific food writer Pam Silvestri. This fella Dave, whose two sons played in the game, both played great. Dave really went above and beyond in terms of getting this field in shape, raking and everything, digging, shoveling, all sorts of things. So we get the field in shape. The other thing I don't understand, and I'm perpetually amazed by this, is this year there were four or five people that showed up to play without a glove. Now, I don't know how you do that. 
I don't know how you show up to play and then just don't have a glove. I can't understand. So I think what I'm going to do if we I continue to organize these games, I'm just going to get a bunch of extra gloves for people because every year someone says to me, do you have a glove? Do you have a glove? Do you have an extra glove? This year was a record. So then we're playing the game, and it's going well. It's a seven-on-seven game, so it's not – I mean, obviously you like a ten-on-ten, but it's a seven-on-seven game, very competitive. My cousin Jessica – was drafted on the other team. She was a standout high school, excuse me, college softball player. She went to college on a softball scholarship. Oh, that's the other thing. Because we were short players, I start going around the park and try to recruit other players that were there playing baseball or something. I find this kid who's playing baseball, looks like he knows he's how, how to play. I said, hey, do you want to play? And then he gestures to the guy that he's playing catch with. I say to the guy who's a little older, hey, do you, do you guys want to play with us? And the guy says, eh, you know, we're kind of in the middle of a private lesson. Oh, excuse me. Private lesson, excuse me. Okay. Then these three girls come, three women come with all sorts of decked out softball gear. They've got a tee. They've got all sorts of softball equipment. And they see that we're playing on the field and that we have a permit to play on the field that they were planning on playing on. And I said, hey, you know, we could use a few extra folks. Why don't you come play with us? And I don't know why, but they didn't want to play. She said, well, you know, do you want me to go and uh, do, do, let me talk to my teammates, she said. So she goes to talk to them, and then the, they, they just walk away. They didn't want to play with us. I don't know why. And uh, my wife said maybe they thought you were hitting on them. And I don't want to reinforce any negative stereotypes, but the, these three women did not look like they were playing for the same team that I play for, if you know what I mean. It looked like they were part of a sexual persuasion, which stereotypically goes hand-in-hand with people that are softball enthusiasts. I know that's not PC, that's not woke. Everybody knows what I mean. Okay. So they didn't want to play. We're playing the 7-on-7. The game's very competitive. The third or fourth inning or so, I'm batting, and I hit this weak grounder sort of up the middle to second base, but I'm trying to beat it out for an infield hit. My wife's playing second base, and John Tobacco's playing first base. Now, when I run, I am running hard, right? I run with a level of intensity that people are amazed at. That's right. It's led me to win a lot of races, foot races over the years, over people much faster than me. So my wife fields the ball, and she's in a hurry because, you know, I'm, I'm quick. So she fields the ball, makes a bad throw to the first baseman, to John Tobacco. John has to come off the base and basically into the baseline, into the path of where I'm running. So I do not slow down at all. This all happens within seconds, right? So there's not a lot of thinking going on. John's trying to go for the ball. I'm trying to make it to the base. And boom, we collide at a pretty... Fast pace. I mean, John is knocked on the ground, and he ha- clearly has his bell rung, and I am I'm pretty I'm hurting myself. So he's able to continue playing. I'm able to continue playing. I got his um, right side with my left side, and his knee was pretty whacked for the rest of the day, and it, it, his knee and his shoulder 
were continually worsening. But and he called me yesterday, a day later, and woke up really in a world of pain, t- taking some drugs. I I think I bruised my one of my left ribs. I don't think I broke anything. Although even if you did break a rib, how do you know? Because I had this just incredible pain where we collided in the left side of my chest. So I don't know. I hope it goes away in a, a week or so. But if it doesn't. I'll go and get an x-ray, but I don't really know what they could do for a broken rib. I will tell you, it only hurts when I move in any direction. But uh, I think John, you know, John's a little older, but uh, John had it a lot worse than I did because I was the runner colliding with him. He got the brunt of of that of my force. But uh, that was that it was one of those moments where people saw this collision and everybody immediately held their breath and just hoped that nobody would be too seriously injured. So uh, John said that he was um, he was uh, his knee was just busted. He didn't know what the story was, but that his knee was busted. He's going to take some. He, he's been icing it, so we'll see what happens. So that was the big drama. His team did not win. The team that I played for, which was captained by Paul Sariano. Oh, excuse me, Paul Sarian, so we called it uh, Paul's Apostles. Uh, Our team won. If you want to make a donation to the Tunnel to Towers event as part of my team, you can go to my Facebook page, facebook.com slash MoranoFan. They're a great group, and they do a lot of great work for veterans that come home with severe disabilities and a lot of veterans' families that never make it home. So that's that. Speaking of baseball, uh, Carmine, uh, my wife and I took my son, Carmine, who's 20 months old, to a baseball game last weekend. And they allow you to run the bases after the game. And unbeknownst to us, there was a New York Times photographer there. And they they put our picture, myself um, pointing the home plate, trying to get Carmine to step on it, and my wife, Rachel, and Carmine. In the New York Times, uh, the Sunday edition. So I, I posted a link to it. That's on my Facebook page as well. If you want to see the photo, Facebook.com slash Morano fan. All right. 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. Stu is in Connecticut. Hello there, Stu. Hey, Frank. How's my audio? Usually I have a hard time come calling Stu, from Connecticut. Stu, you, you sound great. You sound great. Awesome. Awesome. So, uh, yes, the refrigerator topic is outstanding. I, I was cracking up, belly laughs. And, Excellent. Uh, Wonderful. Re- reminds me of uh, me and my buds um, burning a couple Arturo Fuentes uh, around the fire pit, talking about something like that. But what I'll tell you is um, that <clears throat> I am very comforted. Uh, whoever comes to my house, I agree with your buddies, that uh, they come into my kitchen, it's their kitchen. You do what you want. And if I see somebody go into my kitchen, uh, my refrigerator, it actually makes me feel good. It's like that they're in their comfort zone, and they don't feel intimidated, and they're comfortable being in my house. So it's, it's- I feel I feel the same way. Now, the one thing where I'm curious if you agree with me or not, I think if you know, I don't know what kind of house you have, but our house it's sort of a two floor situation. Um, and I, I think people should feel free to go anywhere they want on the ground level floor, the first floor. But I think they, sh- they, they, sh- where our bedrooms are upstairs, 
They no. shouldn't necessarily go up there unless I bring them up there for something. No, no. The kitchen is free reign. And but what what I'll usually do is have stations with drinks or whatever. And but if there's something unusual that they want, they can't find, and I see them go in the fridge. I'm like, oh, uh, I'm I'm very. <laughs> it actually makes me feel good that they feel that comfortable in my in my domain. And uh, as long as they uh, stay away, I have to hide. Uh, Camille's egg salad. That's the only thing. <laughs> yeah. Have you tried her method yet for making that? Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And w- what was your review? Did you did you get it, uh, like it as much oh, as I did? Outstanding. Excellent. Yeah. Excellent. All right, Stu. Nobody Stuart. makes egg salad anymore. It's like... You're right. You're, you're exactly <laughs> right. You're exactly right. Stu, thank you. I appreciate that. And, uh, uh, you know, you're welcome in my refrigerator anytime. Uh, Frank, real, uh, real quick quiff on, on the kitchen thing. Mm-hmm. I had a gal in the kitchen, and she pulls out a wine glass out of a cupboard, and uh, I see her. She's washing it, and she saw me behind her, and she said, hey, don't feel bad. Nobody has clean wine glasses. (laughs) Water stains. (laughs) I like that. That's a good one. Yeah, she caught me. She caught me looking at her. I was like, what? My wife's a a clinician that's a sanitary city in the kitchen, so – Anyway, thanks for your time. All right. Thank you, Stu. Uh, Ken is in Brooklyn. Hello, Ken. Hi, Frank. Uh, regarding a rib injury, <clears throat> several years ago I was mountain biking and I took a spill, and my left side landed on the left handlebars. I got back up. I continued. But later that day and the next day, laughing, sneezing, and coughing were all particularly bothersome. I was fine. I didn't see a doctor. Years later, I had to see an orthopedist for the shoulder on the same side. He took an x-ray. He said to me, you ever diagnosed with fractured ribs? Ooh. I said, no. He said, don't worry. They've knitted nicely. I said, nah, I think I know what happened. I think I know where I had the accident for the ribs. So pay attention if it's difficult to sneeze, cough, and laugh. Don't be around anybody humorous. <laughs> Question for Question for you in the previous segment you were speaking about, I think, the people assembled at your home. Mm -hmm. And maybe it was about the haircut. And you said about it was a judge who made a comment. I'm curious. What was the significance of having to mention this individual as a judge? Would you have said the same if it were a garbage man or a telemarketer? What did did this this person's employment or the fact that this person has more degrees in a thermometer or knows you? How is that germane to the story? Well, first of all, he didn't, um, you know, he doesn't have that many more degrees. He's got one uh, one more degree than me, barely. He's got, you know, a law degree. But the, the, because it's, uh, he's someone that exercises judgment on a regular basis. So I think, um, you know, that is, you know, a, a sanitation worker or, you know, all the other professions of the people that were gathered around the fire. There was a police officer. There was a, you know, a, a nurse practitioner. There was a, or a physician's assistant. There was, you know, a lot of different professions. But he's the only one that exercises judgment on a regular basis. So it was uh, kind of my my way of making clear that even the judges are, in their judgment, think I'm in need of a haircut. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Ken. 800-848-9222. Jay is in the Buckeye State of Ohio. Hello, Jay. Hey, Frank, if you if you don't mind pain, you should have played a little lacrosse back in high school. That's one of those games that you, uh, Indian game, you run around with a stick, and they call it checking people. It's basically hitting people with a big stick. 
And uh, I enjoyed the game because I was fast. You couldn't check me because you couldn't catch me. But I was a midfielder. And that was a very painful game, too. Oh, I bet. I bet. I bet. Uh, do you still have any injuries from your lacrosse playing days? No, no, no uh, scars. I have some bicycle scars and bicycle wrecks, but uh, no scars from lacrosse. Excellent. Thank you, Jay. Appreciate that. 800-848-9222. The presidential debate is coming up on Wednesday. Do you have any idea who the most popular candidate for president is right now? Don't worry. I'm going to tell you. And uh, I have some thoughts on the debate. We covered a little bit of this on uh, on Thursday or Friday. I said I didn't think Trump was going to debate. Now he says he's definitely not going to debate. We'll give you the latest in a moment. 800-848-9222. Straight ahead. It's the other side of midnight with Frank Morano. This is Pink Floyd, uh, Comfortably Numb. If you ever want to know what kind of music we're playing on this program, join our Facebook group. Just go online to Facebook and search Morano, M-O-R-A-N-O, Radio, Fans and Haters, or just go to Facebook.com slash groups slash Radio Morano, and we post the songs up there each and every morning. So it's official. We have the lineup for this Wednesday's presidential debate, and Donald Trump will not be participating, and he's indicated that he is probably not going to participate in any of the primary debates. couple of questions. Uh, well, look, so if you look at who did make the debate stage. You had to meet two criteria. You had to be at 40,000 donors and you had to be at at least 1% of in the polls. Some people made the one threshold but not the other. But here are the eight that are going to be on stage Wednesday night. Mike Pence, Nikki Haley, Tim Scott, Ron DeSantis, Vivek Ramaswamy, Chris Christie, and, oh, that's uh, uh, a j- j- fellow that just made it yet. Did I say Tim Scott already? I think I did. The fellow that just made it yesterday, Asa Hutchinson, the former governor of Arkansas. And then I, m- I must be missing one. Uh, da, da, da. Yeah, so you got Ramaswamy, Tim Scott, Mike Pence, Asa Hutchinson, Nikki Haley, DeSantis, Christie, oh, and uh, the governor of North Dakota, Doug Burgum. 
he did that kind of creative way of getting donations, which he would send everybody that gave him a dollar, he would send a $20 gift card to. That's how he met his threshold of the donations. He's a, a wealthy guy. So uh, the first question I guess I have, I'm going to probably watch it. I'll keep it on in the background. I'm curious to see how people do. But is anybody really going to care if Trump's not in debate? And whether you like Trump or not, Trump is the front runner by a lot. I don't think so. I don't think anybody's going to care about this debate without Trump in it. Now, Trump says he's going to watch it to see who he may pick as a vice presidential candidate. And now it's looking like Vivek Ramaswamy is surging. He is now tied for second in some of the opinion polls with Ron DeSantis. So that's interesting. Trump is going to do an interview or has done an interview with Tucker Carlson, which will drop on Twitter at the same time as the debate. So it's kind of their attempt, Tucker and Trump, at counter-programming the Fox debate, which obviously Tucker will love that and I'm sure Trump will love that. So it's going to be interesting. Curious if you're going to watch 800-848-9222, Two other interesting stories as it relates to the presidential race. One, there was, um, there was, see, DeSantis, I don't think, has done well at all. I don't think he's acquitted himself well. Before DeSantis entered the Republican primary, public opinion strategies put out multiple sets of swing state polls comparing his strength to Donald Trump's in a race against Joe Biden. And the differences were minor, but very consistent. The Florida governor had a slight advantage over Trump, often within the margin of error. Things have changed. Fox finds DeSantis sagging to a 21-point net negative approval rating. That is worse than Biden, worse than Harris, while running worse against Biden than Trump. So the whole rationale of DeSantis being the most electable, at least according to the opinion polling, that's not the case right now. One in four Republicans view DeSantis negatively, and he's less popular than Trump is with independents. So who do you think is the best-liked candidate running for president this year? May not be what you think. He is not even close to leading. The best-liked candidate running for president this year, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. This is due to the high crossover support. He has actually the highest crossover support from anyone running. He has a 58% favorable rating from Republicans. And 36% of Democrats view him favorably and about 55% of independents view him favorably. So those are great numbers for a general election. Those are not necessarily great numbers if you're running in the Democratic primary. So as of now, Kennedy is still running in the Democratic primary. But I do wonder if he were to go third party, run as an independent, let's say, if those favorability ratings would translate to the general election. I don't know. Republicans who don't want another Trump nomination, they are just flummoxed by his steady support, and they tell themselves a story. 
They say this could change if his indictments become conviction. There is so far no evidence to support that. A majority of every voter demographic has rejected the idea of a felon in the White House. But uh, white, white men, overwhelmingly Republican, and voters under 35, mostly people that are distrustful of the system, are the least bothered by the idea, but only a third of them accept it. So it is interesting. Speaking of the idea of a third-party candidate, Joe Manchin is continuing to make waves about potentially running as the no-labels presidential candidate uh, next year or running for re-election. We don't know exactly what he's going to do. He was on the uh, Cats at round ta- the Cats Roundtable Sunday morning in an interview that's gotten, gotten a lot of attention. Here's John Katsimatidis asking him about running for president and Joe Manchin's response. Um, Senator, uh, we had uh, Governor McCrory on uh, the other day from No Labels, and he says that the decision if they're going to run a third-party candidate for No Labels, uh, they're already in 10 states, will be made on uh, Super Tuesday. Any thoughts? And you've been a member of No Labels. I wasn't. Yeah. When you were a member in 2010, 2011, 2012, I think I was a member then, too. Yeah. Yeah, Any John thoughts? Huntsman and I were, yeah. yeah, well, first of all, John Huntsman and I, we felt that if no labels, if it's going to be true no labels, then it should be from people on both sides of the aisle, both parties, Democrats and Republicans, saying, I think we can do better than this. We can get our country back on track. So John Huntsman and I were the first honorary chairman, uh, co-chairs of no labels, being a Democrat and Republican, looking at basically how we would govern being Americans and not being Democrats or Republicans. And we still believe as we did then. Pat McCrory is a good man. He's out there trying to do what he thinks is right, and he's putting his time and effort to where his beliefs are, and I, I, I thank him for that. And uh, it's commendable. And the bottom line is, is would you rather take uh, the uh, position that you're going to be prepared in case we go down a situation to where uh, the candidates that are going to be offered by the Democrat and Republican parties – are going to be people that even the party themselves do not wish to have as their as the representative, uh, but there's no other options whatsoever. Uh, or do you want to be prepared that things could be different and you would have options? And I think that's all they're preparing for. And I commend them for that. They're working very hard towards that. And all they're asking for is do, do, does this, do the citizens of the United States want some other options? And I think if whatever you see comes out of no labels, and if it comes out of a group moving in that direction, it's going to be a former Democrat, former Republican probably, at the top of a ticket showing that you can bring this country together by governing together, not by, con- not, not by condemning the other side, which is what they do now. If you're a Democrat, they expect you to villainize every Republican. If you're a Republican, you should villainize the Democrats. That's not the way our founding fathers intended for this democracy to work. It is. I thought that was a fascinating conversation, and I found myself agreeing with a great deal of what Manchin said there. I don't know that I could ever vote for um, vote for Manchin, but I loved everything that he said there. Absolutely loved it. Now, uh, last thing I'll mention on the presidential front, and you can call in if you want. We're going to do commendations in a minute. Apparently, there's a shocking allegation involving Vivek Ramaswamy. It's not nothing against him, but it's an allegation that he's making. Apparently, Vivek Ramaswamy wanted to appear on Newsmax. He should pay to do it. That was the message that the head of Newsmax, Chris Ruddy, 
delivered to Republican presidential candidate Vivek Ramaswamy during a private call earlier this summer, according to two people to whom the candidate described the conversation. Ramaswamy had complained that the right-leaning network was sticking him in little-watched midday slots or ignoring him outright. Ruddy also suggested a solution. Ramaswamy told associates, buy more television ads on the network. Ruddy, Ramaswamy told them, noted that such a transaction had helped Republican businessman Perry Johnson, what Semaphore describes as a gadfly candidate, who has thus far garnered only passing attention among mainstream and even conservative outlets covering the 2024 presidential cycle. So, I don't know. I don't know. I could see that. I could see it, honestly. Until next hour, keep asking questions. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's Frank Morano. The other side of midnight. I'm superstar Frank Morano. Thanks for listening. We'll do commendations in just a moment. If you would like to comment on anything that we are talking about, you can give me a call, 800 848 9222. That's 800 848 9222. You can also drop me a line via email at Frank at That's Frank All right, without further ado, the following people, places, or things have done something that I find commendable. That's how they all received a... The Other Side of Midnight presents Commendations. I must begin by commending the Spain women's soccer team, the national women's soccer team of Spain. They have defeated England one nothing and secured their first women's World Cup title. Very impressive, this uh, the play, the level of play that we saw from this Spanish team. So congratulations to them, and I am happy to give them a commendation. I am also happy to give a commendation to Rosalind Carter the former First Lady of the United States, who a day or two ago celebrated her 96th birthday, 96th birthday, with her husband, Jimmy Carter. They celebrated with peanut butter ice cream and butterflies. According to the Carter Center, the human rights organization the Carters opened in Atlanta after Jimmy Carter lost his reelection. They um, they had a quiet birthday celebration joined by other family members, members of the Plains, Georgia community. They also were they honored the the Carters. Uh, so good for her. This is someone who has been doing a lot of good in the philanthropic arena for a long time. And whatever you think. And look, I don't think Jimmy Carter was a good president, but 
whatever you think of him as a president, there were no scandals in his administration. There was no corruption. There were no indictments. When's the last president of, a, of either party that you could say there was really no scandal, no allegations of corruption or anything along those lines? And uh, I think that is reflect, re- reflecting, you know, he might have just been too nice a guy for Washington, D.C. But whatever you think about him as president, I don't think there's any denying that what both Rosalind and Jimmy Carter have done since leaving the presidency, they stand out as, I think, among the best first couples ever. And I'm, I'm, I know that uh, Jimmy Carter and Rosalind Carter both had a lot of health issues to think that he's 98 and she's 96, and apparently they're both still pretty sharp. So good for them. Happy birthday, Rosalind Carter. I want to commend Brogan Ingram, known on TikTok as not the worst cleaner. So this is someone who is spreading kindness by a Canadian TikTok star. He's spreading kindness by cleaning homes for free for people who are experiencing health issues. I think this is great. So he's providing free cleanings to those with health issues, and he's on a mission to raise awareness about the correlation between mental health and cleaning. As my wife will say, she would absolutely agree with that. She thinks I have very poor mental health and I'm a slob. So she would completely agree with that. But according to the National Alliance on Mental Illness, one in five adults in this country experience a mental illness. That's more than 40 million people. And studies do show a link between messy rooms and depression. On the other hand, clean homes are associated with clarity and control and can boost mental health. So Brogan Ingram, cleaning people's homes for free. Very nice. I want to commend Captain Vince Eckelkamp of Colorado. He's a pilot who was vacationing on Maui, and he volunteered to fly a plane as the fires raged, and he helped 330 people get off the island safely. So he helped. This is a United Airlines pilot that was on vacation in Hawaii. And he volunteered to fly this plane while the fires were very much still raging. Basically flying over the fires. I mean, imagine that. Just riding over these flames and doing it repeatedly to save the lives of people you don't even know. I mean, I think this is great. So this is, uh, I think, just a, a wonderful guy. So commendation. Captain Eckelkamp. I want to give a commendation to the deputy officer responding to a domestic dispute and ended up buying groceries for a hungry family in need. That's right. In Colorado, Sheriff's Deputy Ryan Weiner went above and beyond to help this uh, family which includes a great-grandmother raising two children. So he responded to a domestic dispute at a Denver-area residence, and he found an even bigger problem, hungry children. He said he often sees people in crisis in his line of work, 
And this was one domestic disturbance that Wiener said he couldn't put out of his mind. June 30th, Wiener responds to an apartment where 71-year-old Vicki Green is raising two young boys. The boys had reportedly gone to bed hungry and woke up hungry. Green told Wiener she and her partner had been arguing and a cruel act had escalated the dispute. Here's the quote from Mr. Wiener. He ate these two last hot dogs in the house that were supposed to be for the boys and made them just sit there and watch while he ate them. As a father and as a parent and just as a good human being, like, that just felt felt so vengeful and so mean. Absolutely. So instead of moving on to the next call, the deputy and his partner went to a nearby grocery store. And I, he said, I just knew there was something that I could do, and I didn't want to leave having that feeling later, knowing that in that situation I could do more. And Green, the grandmother, the great-grandmother, excuse me, was overcome with emotions when, with emotion when the deputies came back with bags of groceries. She said it was just not, it was not just an obligation or a duty. I think he did it because he cared. So I think that is, I think that's great. Not only will the groceries feed them for a day or two, but that act of kindness is going to feed, you know, Miss Green's soul. That's her word, not mine. He was a blessing. He was. I was not his. He was my blessing. I do it all over again. So that's not. That, that's very nice. Commendation to Ryan Weiner. I want to commend Elizabeth Anderson Sierra, a mom who has set the world record for donating breast milk. She has donated, is a native of Oregon, 1,599.68 liters of breast milk. And she's still making milk for other babies, as well as her own eight-month-old. And she now produces 200 ounces daily. The average human milk-fed infant consumes 24 to 30 ounces. So not only is her baby well-fed, but a lot of other people are um, are getting to enjoy this milk because of her. Apparently, she has something called hyperlactation, where you just make... And I've known many women that have this, and um, it can be very painful at times and very inconvenient at other times because you almost never get a chance to sleep. You're feeding the baby, and then you're you're pumping. So it does take a big sacrifice. A lot of the women that I know who have had this, they take a tea or some sort of medication to make their milk ducts dry up, but not Elizabeth Anderson Sierra. She has set a world record by donating the breast milk. I must commend this Mexico City resident by the name of uh, Katia Latouf. Katia Latouf is 73 years old, and he has turned his apartment, or her apartment, into a clinic for nursing ailing and baby hummingbirds back to health. I have to confess, I never would have thought about this. I would never think to do this. And yet, I'm glad that Katia Latouf did. Great to see 
hummingbirds out there humming and doing their thing. I want to commend everybody that uh, participated in our softball game on Saturday. Hoping to do another September game that will have a bigger crowd. And I want to thank especially everybody that volunteered to help out with the field and everything, especially uh, Paul Sarian, John Tobacco, and Dave, who apparently gets up around this time and listens to us every morning. And uh, they're Dave's boys, Andrew and James, among the best players on the field there. So uh, that was great. Um, And thank you to everyone that donated. I see that uh, Neil, who just called in earlier, made a donation. If you want to make a donation, you can go to my Facebook page. The link is up there. Facebook.com slash Morano fan. I want to commend, I still have not seen it, but I want to commend the film Barbie. Barbie. Barbie is now the number one domestic film produced by Warner Brothers of all time. It is breaking box office records like crazy in this country. It's banned in a lot of other countries. And it is now the highest grossing domestic release in the history of Warner Brothers, uh, passing the Dark Knight, the Batman film. So globally, Barbie is closing in on Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part 2 as the highest grossing Warner Brothers movie ever. Now, that's very impressive, given all the countries that keep banning Barbie. So uh, congratulations to you, Barbie. And finally... I want to commend the state of Iowa. According to a new study from Bankrate, Iowa is the best state in America to retire. That's right. It, when looking at affordability, well-being, health care quality and cost, weather and crime, Iowa tops them all. So Florida, I think most people would have picked as the top state, but... Delaware was actually number two. Florida is usually number one on this particular list, but Iowa was able to uh, get the top spot this year. So if you're looking to retire, think about Iowa. All right. Uh, If you want to comment on anyone that I have commended, you are welcome to give me a call. 800-848-9222, 800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. Tiny Bubbles. You ever want to know what kind of music we play on the radio? You can uh, join the Facebook group 
uh, Morano Radio Fans and Haters. That's M O R A N O Radio Fans and Haters. So, my wife and I went to see Oppenheimer on Friday. I'll, I'll tell you about it a little later. But there's one passing mention in the film to uh, John F. Kennedy. And my wife and I, after the movie, were sitting on our front porch. I was having a cigar, beautiful weather. And we're sitting on our front porch and we're just talking. We're talking about the movie. And uh, we're talking. I, I end up going on a little bit of a tangent. I know it's hard for you to believe. But I end up uh, talking about the close relationship that the Kennedys had with Joseph McCarthy. Because obviously there's some stuff about McCarthyism and the com- and communism in the film Oppenheimer. And I, I mentioned how um, John F. Kennedy did not vote to censure Joseph McCarthy. And I also mentioned how Joseph McCarthy's committee had two attorneys that worked for it, two, two legal counsel. One was Roy Cohn, which I think a lot of people know. The other was Robert F. Kennedy. So, right after that, I said, do you know who succeeded Robert F. Kennedy as New York's senator when he was killed? And she did not. And I said, Charles Goodell, the father of the current NFL commissioner, Roger Goodell, who was then defeated by Jim Buckley. And uh, at running as a third-party candidate in 1970, conservative party candidate. And that was the last time a third-party candidate, not an independent, but a third-party candidate, was elected to the U.S. Senate in the United States. And it was the last time that a third-party or independent candidate was elected to statewide office at all in New York State. That was Saturday night. Saturday night. And I tell you... You could, this always happens to me. This is yet another example of synchronicity. I wake up early the next morning to see that Jim Buckley, the very same senator that I was talking about 12 hours before, less than that probably, had died. So I, I can't remember the last time I said Jim Buckley's name. All of a sudden, I mention his name and he's dead. So. Is it a coincidence? Sure. But we've done whole shows on synchronicity. This was yet another example of synchronicity. But let me mention uh, a bit about Jim Buckley, other than the fact that he was a senator. A lot of people knew him uh, because his brother was Bill Buckley, the host of Firing Line, the founding editor of National Review, and the person that um, ran for mayor as the Conservative Party candidate in 1965. In some ways, that campaign that Bill Buckley ran in 1965 actually helped pave the way for Jim Buckley in 1970. So he was elected in a three-way race in 1970 as the Conservative Party nominee, ran for re-election. There was an attempt to try and draft him for the Republican presidential nomination. But that uh, did not pan out. He never won another election after 1970. He ran for re-election in 76 as the candidate of both the Republican and the Conservative Party, but uh, was not elected. And Reagan, a few years later, brought him back 
to uh, several posts. He made him the president of Radio Free Europe, and then he appointed him to the U.S. Court of Appeals for the District of Columbia. That court is probably, other than the Supreme Court, the most important and the most influential federal court in the country. That's where Merrick Garland was a judge. That's where many Supreme Court justices come from. And so he served as a federal judge and for, for 15 years. And um, a fascinating man, a brilliant man, very conservative, son of an oil tycoon. And their father, Bill Buckley and Jim Buckley's father, they all sounded kind of the same way. But their father left $17 million to each of his 10 children. Had 10 children. Each one got $17 million. And he, um, Jim Buckley was conservative by all means, but very independent. He was a guy that had no problem calling out Nixon during the Watergate scandal, for instance. And he lived most of his life in Connecticut, and he had never held public office. And he was recruited, basically, to run against Jacob Javits for uh, U.S. Senate. And then in 1970, they uh, they thought that uh, he was kind of a carpetbagger. He, at the time, was supportive of Nixon, and he was very wealthy, and they didn't think he would appeal to blue-collar voters. But there was something about him that voters just found attractive. He was clearly a very intelligent guy, a lawyer, father of six, a naval combat veteran in World War II. He's athletic, he's handsome, and uh, has a kind of warmth and wit that Nixon couldn't even dream of. And then, sure enough, on Election Day, Buckley won the three-way race with 38% of the vote. And they called him the architect of a pragmatic new conservatism, combining traditional conservative values with common-sense approaches to rising crime, taxes, welfare costs, things like that. And um, it was uh, it was a very, very interesting man. I never got to meet him. However, my friend Joe Piscopo, who I was hoping we could uh, get on the program today, but he was tied up with something. He was not available. But uh, Joe Piscopo went on a cruise with him four years ago, a Media Research Center cruise. And I said, well, that's really neat that you get to meet Jim Buckley. The guy's a legend. And I, I basically got to produce an interview that Joe did with Jim Buckley, and the interview was great. I, I tried to find the, the audio of it, but I, I was not able to find it before the show. If Joe comes on later in the week, maybe we'll play a clip from it. But it was a great interview listening to him talk about his just fascinating life. And this was four years ago. He was 96 years old at the time, still incredibly sharp, incredibly sharp. So Jim Buckley, Senator Jim Buckley, Judge Jim Buckley, passed away at the age of 100 years old. God bless him. If you don't know what Jim Buckley sounded like, this is what uh, Jim Buck. This is Jim Buckley, I believe, on Firing Line, doing an interview with his brother, Bill Buckley, talking about what he views as the proper role of government 
uh, interfering in the private sector. Here's Jim Buckley. In, in the instance of housing and things of that sort, I, I believe so very strongly, yes. Uh, in terms of, I don't believe in the federal government subsidizing industries. I do believe in the federal government under the most extraordinarily uh, extraordinary situations protecting an industry if our national security is dependent on it. And there's some oddball ones around. Uh, there is a, a ball bearing industry, for example, that's about to disappear from this country on which our military depend. You going to do something about it? Others are worrying about it. Mr. Murphy? So that's uh, Bill Buckley interviewing Jim Buckley. Yale guy, very into bird watching. He even considered doing it professionally, but didn't work out. All right. 800-848-9222. 800-848-9222. Steve is in Manhattan. Hello, Steve. Sounded like Bill Buckley interviewing Bill Buckley. Well, they did now, have uh, that similar kind of transatlantic accent, no question about it. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it sounded like a, I don't know, that accent sounds like he was trying to do like an English type accent. I couldn't figure that well, one out. it's transatlantic. But, uh, it's transatlantic yeah. or mid-Atlantic. Right. Well, that's like in the middle of the ocean. Um, yes. And William F. Buckley would knock Pat Buchanan a lot, so I never, I never really liked William F. Buckley. Well, you know what? Look, I, I, obviously, Steve, you know, I, I consider Pat a friend, and I think he's a very bright guy. But I think you can um, respect someone's intellect and respect their professional accomplishments, and especially in the case of Jim Buckley, his public service, even if you don't necessarily agree with them, Right. Well, you don't have to agree with them, but that doesn't mean I have to respect them if I don't like what they want to do to yeah, this country. Fair enough. Either. Fair enough. All right. Because, and plus, Frank, I, I heard you recently complaining about certain guests that didn't want to come on. Always remember, I'm warming up in the bullpen. If you want me to come on for an hour or two and take some phone calls, and I'll do it anytime. Thank you, you know? very much. Thank you. You know what I'm saying? Because some of these people I don't find so impressive. You know, to me, like, it's like Robert Kennedy Jr., like, he like memorizes all the policy stuff and he answers the question. He's not impressive to me at all. Well, but, yeah, um, I mean, I, I I disagree. I find him pretty pretty impressive. Okay, and uh, I just want to say something to the audience so they know something. At one time, there was like a hundred Steve from Manhattan imitators calling talk radio. I just wanted you folks to know that if somebody gives me credit or blame for a call, and wouldn't we love Patrick J. Buchanan to come out of retirement now with the shenanigans going on? And uh, people, before I get to the point with the debates, but people, you know, some people are here saying that Eric Adams is uh, has no plan. No, he has a plan to flood this country with the third world. They're laughing their heads off because they can't believe how easy it is. Now, the, with the debates, I would say 90 percent of the country is not even interested in the presidential election in 2024 in, in the summer of 2023. They're on vacation. They're planning their last vacation. They're having fun. They have other things on their mind. They're just not into this. I mean, these might as well just throw pies at each other. But um, but you will not see in this debate, which is you got to be the key to the biggest issues of the day, will not be discussed. China sent a virus here that murdered one million Americans. You will mm -hmm. not hear them bring that up. You will not hear them bring up the 65 Immigration Act, which turned the, the party of the left of, into a Democratic Party, into a left-wing party. And you know what I really believe? I, I don't even believe that, like Rudy Giuliani and Donald Trump, they don't really understand 
what has happened to the Democratic Party. They understand what's happening to them now, but I'm going to say something that no one's ever said before. What's happening to them now has really happened to a lot of Americans in the last 60 years. They've been run over by the hard left. There's a lot of people in this country that didn't get jobs, didn't get promotions, didn't get government contracts, didn't get into the schools they want. There are guys and ladies in this audience who were discriminated along those lines. Now they're starting to feel the taste of it because when Rudy Giuliani came back to the station three years ago, right, I said to him, not only does the hard left want to throw uh, Donald Trump into jail, they want to throw his whole family and his friends in jail. Yeah. Rudy didn't understand what I was saying. I think he understands today. All right. Thank you, Steve. Uh, by the way, Steve, I was listening to uh, Anthony Weiner's program on Saturday when you called in under an assumed name. And then I said, oh, that's Steve from Manhattan. Watch. He's going to say, go Buchanan, go, go Buchanan, go. How come you made a liar out of me? You went through the whole phone call and then you didn't uh, you didn't say that. What's your deal? I mean, you got to play the hits. Well, yeah, it is. It is a classic thing when that does happen. Usually I'll I'll give you I'll tell you because you're one of the only people that let me on. Let the new people in the audience. This guy here is one of the few people that let me on the air. Um, What I like to do first is to build up the host. I'll compliment them and everything. And then I'll sideswipe them with the go Buchanan go. Yeah. No, I oh, believe me. I know. But we got none of that on uh, on Saturday. Uh, thank you, Steve. Appreciate that. Uh, 800-848-9222. I feel bad for uh, my wife. Apparently my son has not been sleeping. I got a message from her at 1230 Eastern. She said, your son is up. And I didn't uh, I didn't see that until a little later. Then. Two hours later, two hours later, 2.30 Eastern, she said he, he watched uh, J.J., that's Coco Melon. He watched J.J. <laughs> he watched J.J. in our room. Then I put him back to bed, and he cried for 45 minutes. So I took him out again, and now he's back in crying again. Half hour later, he's still screaming. This, this is brutal. And I said, maybe he's not feeling well. Maybe, you know, try and give him a little Motrin or something. She says, already did about 45 minutes ago. He's back in her bed, and I'm playing Taylor Swift to get him to go to sleep. And she said, it's working. You may have to sleep in your office when you get home. So that's apparently it. That, we don't generally do that, but apparently when he's inconsolable, what are you, you going to do? I feel bad for my wife, though. She's got a whole work day ahead of her. I get to go home and sleep. She's got a whole work day ahead of her, and she's going to be exhausted. So uh, I hope he does sleep the rest of the evening. 800-848-9222. Russell is in North Carolina. Hello, Russell. Hey, sounds like a little karma. He's got the spirit of a sleeper in him. He never sleeps. Well, not never. It's just, uh, you know, <laughs> last night he slept fine. But uh, whatever, so he's clearly agitated today. Oh, man, he sounds like Sliwa. But yes, anyway, that's hey, true. Um, yeah, hey, look, I want to wish Rosalind Carter a happy 96th birthday. You know, her and her husband, you know, they supported the murder of 70 million unborn babies. And one day those suckers will die and they will face the consequences for that. You know, her and Jimmy, the great, ooh, they're so good people. No, they're not good people. They murdered babies, man. They're not good people. Well, That's all I got to say. Thank right. you, Frank. Thank right. you, Russell. Appreciate it. You know, so you, you talk about a policy position, abortion, 
that they have that literally millions of Americans also have. Do you really think all of them are going to hell? I don't think so. Uh, I think you could say a lot about the Carters, but the two things that I think you have to say about them is, one, they really do seem deeply connected to their faith. They are very active in their church, and they go to church all the time. I mean, I think they're they're in, among the most religious president, at, you know, first couples we've ever had. But um, so I think that's one thing. The other thing is the work that they've done with Habitat for Humanity in terms of building homes for people all over the world. I think that's very admirable. I'm sorry that you disagree with them on abortion, but I still think that you can, like, I, I, you know, I feel like I'm saying, I'm talking to Stephen Manhattan again. You could not like their opinion on something, but also respect what they've done in other areas. I don't think it's, you know, in my experience, almost everybody is not black or white. Almost everybody is in that gray area, shades of gray. And I don't think you should write off someone, whether it's a personal, someone in your personal life or a political figure or a celebrity. I don't think you should write off someone just because they do something that you don't like. I think you really, the challenge is, because that's the easy thing to do, right? But I think the challenge is to try to find a reason to like someone. Look, if someone's just totally irredeemable, then they're irredeemable. Then there's nothing that you can do. But chances are, even if someone is not somebody that you would like to be friends with or like to vote for, chances are there's something about them that is, uh, that's admirable, right? You know, I, in terms of political figures, I've been very critical of both George W. Bush and Chris Christie, but I always say of George W. Bush strikes me as an incredibly devoted father grandfather and husband, an incredibly friendly guy and a nice guy. I've always said of Chris Christie, the guy, as much as I might disagree with him politically, is incredibly intelligent. He's a very smart guy, totally unprincipled, not a very good governor, but a very intelligent guy. So I think um, if you're going through life, not that you need a life lesson from me, but if you're going through life looking for a reason to not like someone, everyone has a reason for you not to like them. Everyone. And I think that can be a pretty lonely existence. But if you go through life looking for the reasons to like someone, I think you're going to be much more content personally. 800-848-9222. Ted is in Forest Hills. Hello, Ted. Oh, all right. So you realize, can you hold me a little longer? Because I don't know what topic we're yep, on. Yep, I'll put you back on hold. Absolutely. 800-848-9222. If you want to comment. Also on the social media network formerly known as Twitter, at Frank Morano. That's Frank, M-O-R-A-N-O. Charlie is in Hell's Kitchen. Hello, Charlie. Hello, Frank. I just called a corner and I wanted to say to your audience that Steve from Manhattan is absolutely right. He called in the car. 
who called that few minutes ago. He's talking about the 1965 Hart Seller Act that Senator Ted Kennedy at the time got passed in law. And I want to just add on to what he was saying is this migrant problem, this illegal aliens that come to New York City uh, with the invitation of mayor, the mayor, this is this is going to be a disaster. So many of these countries have let out their prisons and their mental institutions and sent them here. And this is just a ticking time bomb. Oh, I, 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 I completely agree. I completely agree. And uh, I think uh, it's a it's a major, major problem. And it's a major problem for cities that are expected to pay all the bills for these folks. Um so, and again, I think the overwhelming majority of these folks legitimately are fleeing some sort of oppression. But, um, I mean, let's say it's a small percentage that's up to something nefarious. I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't think that's a good situation to put them in residential communities, especially folks that, uh, in facilities that used to house senior citizens and things of that nature. But, I just also, New York can't afford this. Chicago can't afford this. These cities that are paying all the bills for these people, it's taking an enormous financial toll. Within a year and a half, they say it's going to be, um, they say it's going to be $5 billion for New York alone. And I just think it sends a poor message to the rest of the world, which is all you have to do is get here. And we'll find a way to take care of you. But I feel like that's a little bit of a separate issue policy-wise than the uh, 1964 Immigration Act or 65 Immigration Act that uh, that you and Steve mentioned there. 800-848-9222. David is in the Boogie Down Bronx. Hello, David. Hey, good morning, Frank. Morning. Uh, just to change the subject a little bit. Um, to go back to the Buckley brothers and the mid-Atlantic accent, which I haven't heard in many years spoken by anyone other than old movies, um, I'm curious, do you think that a politician today who spoke that way could get elected, and when's the last time you actually heard someone speak that way? Well, I interviewed William Daniels about, uh, about three years ago, and he speaks that way. Um, he has that that mid-Atlantic uh, accent. I think a politician uh, could get elected, not to the presidency, but I think they could get elected in the state, maybe like Connecticut, where they view being a patrician as a little bit of a, a feather in your cap, not something to run away from. But, uh, yeah, I, I think it depends what they were running for and what the other circumstances were. I don't think it's a, a disqualifier, uh, for instance. But uh, last time I heard one not in a recording that I spoke to was when I interviewed uh, William Daniels about uh, about three years ago. Thanks, David. 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. Joe is in the Queens. Hello, Joe. Yeah, hi, Frank. I want to ask you a couple of questions. One is... Uh, you mentioned softball. Have you played on these teams? And then I want to know if w- w- on which teams? Uh, Staten Island. You mentioned, uh, you know, have you played ever on these softball teams? Well, when you say the the, the teams, I'm not sure what. Uh, I mean, I, I've, I've played on yeah. many teams over the years. Yeah. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. Tell me about that. Yeah. Tell like what position? Like, I, I generally, like... I generally play um, first base, and you know. Okay. 
I, I played first base when I played baseball as well. And you know what I realized on Saturday, and I'm very embarrassed by this, because I'm a pretty good fielding first baseman, but the one thing that you don't have to do at first base is throw. And I was warming up with my wife, who's a very good softball player, and we're playing catch, and I hadn't played all year, all summer pretty much. And I am throwing this ball all over the place. I, and I was so embarrassed. I felt like Mackie Sasser from the Mets, if you remember Mackie Sasser. By the way, for those of you that are uh, listening in uh, KMOX in St. Louis, very interesting uh, series that the Mets had with the Cardinals this weekend. I'm glad you guys finally were able to win one on Sunday. But I don't think I ever learned how to properly grip a softball because a softball it's about the size of a grapefruit right so you can't grip it the same way that you grip a baseball when i grip a baseball and i'm throwing a baseball it's very clear how to grip it you grip it with three fingers right you your your middle finger your index finger and your thumb and then maybe your ring fingers kind of on the side you can't do that at least i can't with the size of my hands with a softball so I don't. I think I need a lesson in uh, in remedial softball throwing because I throw these softballs wildly all over the place. But uh, I can kind of mask how terrible a softball thrower I am by staying uh, on uh, on first base. Well, what else did you have on your mind, though, Joe? Yeah, yeah. Also, so yeah, that's interesting. That your wife is also very proficient too, but. Also, when you go to Atlantic City, like this time of year, the water is warm. Do you take a dip? Do you take advantage of that? Or do you uh, sit out, just sit out on the beach? Or, like, how do you approach that? Yes, yeah, we both uh, love the beach in Atlantic City, and it's free. It's free, unlike, say, the Cape May Beach or anything else. You don't have to get a beach tag. Uh, yeah, we do go. We um, we Last time we uh, didn't have very much time. But if we if we had ever stayed multiple days, we're going to try and go back on September, th- the weekend of September 30th for a, a charity event that night. Maybe, maybe if we can pull off two days, we'll do some beach time. Uh, it should still be nice over there. Yes, we love the beach over there. Absolutely. Did you go on the water, though? Did you like the highways? I, ha- I have, yeah, I have. Yeah. I, I wouldn't say I do it routinely, but I have, yeah. Thank you. Eight hundred eight four eight ninety two twenty two eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. We'll continue with your calls in just a moment. This is the other side of midnight. Straight ahead. The other side of midnight. It's the other side of midnight with Frank Morano. Singing power to the people. This is the other side of midnight. I'm Frank Morano. So on Friday, my uh, wife and I went to the movies. 
It was the first time that we'd actually been to a theater since October of 2020. So almost, you know, over two years. No, uh, October of 2021. Excuse me. October of 2021. Almost two years not having gone to the uh, multiplex. And uh, I was glad to be back because I used to really enjoy going to the multiplex all the time. And it's funny, we went to one of these theaters that's a dine-in theater. It, this one is uh, an Alamo draft house. And it was our first time there. It's relatively new to our neighborhood. And w- we get there, and I'm really excited about this whole thing. We saw Oppenheimer, and I'm really excited. We had to hire a babysitter. Babysitter, you know, it was about 90 bucks, right? Then $35 for the movie tickets. The food at these dine-in theaters, in my experience, and this was the case on Friday, mediocre at best, mediocre. I did not, I I have also found with these dine-in theaters, and I like that you can get drinks, that's kind of fun, but I've also found that if the food comes or you're eating during the movie, you kind of have to look down and it does distract you a little bit from the movie. I had forgotten that I um, that I wasn't crazy about that uh, because maybe I would not have gotten anything during the film because it is a little distracting. The thing that's nice about these dining theaters, though, is these reclining seats. They're so comfortable. It really is like watching a movie at home, and then, or actually, much more comfortable than watching a movie at home. So we end up spending $109 on food, $90 on a babysitter, and uh, what did we spend on uh, on the ticket? $35 on the tickets. So basically, we spent, you know, about $250 for a night out at the movies. And you for a three-hour film like Oppenheimer, you can't really get up and go to the bathroom without missing something, whereas if you watch something at home, you could pause it at your convenience. And I think we both kind of decided, we were both glad to get out, but we both decided that eh, all things being equal, let's save the $250 and just watch a movie at home next time. Because uh, I was really excited, and they had this trailer at the beginning where you can join the Alamo Draft House Club or whatever it is, where for $35, you can see almost unlimited movies at Alamo Drafthouse Theaters. And I like it because they have a lot of vintage movies. They'll show films like Psycho or things like that. And you could go every day for a month. I said, why don't we get that? This will be our thing now. We'll go all the time. But uh, then, sure enough, I was not singing that uh, tune towards the end of the evening. So as far as Oppenheimer goes, I really enjoyed this picture. I thought the acting was tremendous, and it's a challenge with a historical movie like this in that, obviously, you know what happens. We know the atomic bomb was developed. We know that it worked. We know that it helped precipitate the Japanese surrender. It's very challenging when you know the ending, more or less, of a film, and it's still suspenseful. This film pulls that off. It manages to remain unpredictable, even though you sort of know what's happening. 
I found it uh, pretty accurate in terms of the history that I knew. And there were a whole bunch of aspects of this that I never learned. There was all these figures, both in the political community and the scientific community, that I was totally unfamiliar with. I enjoyed it. I definitely see many of the parallels between the world of the worlds of artificial intelligence and the world of the atomic bomb. So I enjoyed the film. I thought it was a little long, a little long. It runs three hours. I can't really tell you what I would have cut, but I, I would have loved for it to be maybe about 20 minutes shorter. I did find myself, in part, I think, because of the um, the two drinks that I had in the theater and because of these super comfortable chairs, I did find myself nodding off at two, at two different points in the film, I didn't really miss anything, though. Uh, Rachel gave me a, an elbow to wake me up. And there are certain scenes that are so incredibly loud that it keeps you pretty alert. But I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it very much. I would absolutely recommend it. And uh, I thought it was a f- really well-made film. This is uh, Christopher Nolan. He's one of the probably the best-known director in I don't know, the 21st century, I'll say. But uh, I can absolutely see this being a major Oscar contender because uh, it's really, really well done. Really well done. And, look, um, it's done very well at the box office. Came out the same weekend as Barbie, and it's made hundreds of millions of dollars. All right, 800-848-9222, Two. Burr, uh, let's see. Robert is in New Jersey. Hello, Robert. Good morning, Frank. How are you this morning, sir? I'm great. Thank you. Good, good. I wanted to express my disappointment and my sadness at having the $1,000 minute canceled. And I just have two questions. Sure. What's your plan B? Uh, why was it canceled and what's your plan B? Well, I what's, think... What are you going to... Uh, you know, I, uh, yeah, I think the feeling was, and it was not my decision, um, so I can only speculate. But I think the feeling was that it had sort of run its course, that we had been doing it for three years, and that the um, the the audience growth that we were experiencing in that uh, hour had kind of tapped out, right? It had kind of leveled off. It had kind of hit a hit a you know a plateau. So I think uh, the thinking is, let's try some other things in that hour, and maybe we'll be able to grow even more. Now, if uh, you write to management and scores of people write to management, say, bring back the $1,000 minute, who knows? They may bring it back. But as of now, what our plan is, is um, beginning tomorrow, really, beginning tomorrow, we are going to have the um, the inimitable gnome-laden our news director, anchor with me a segment of international and national news items of interest. So it's going to be news items that are a little bit offbeat, uh, news items that make you go, ooh, or hmm, or I didn't know that. So that's the plan. Uh, Gnome is off today, so we're going to get that started tomorrow. And uh, I'm looking forward to it. I think it'll be fun. I, I really enjoy working with Gnome. And he's a uh, just a, a real pro and somebody that I've known for a long time and has a real nose for news. Gnome's nose for news, second to none. 
800-848-9222. Arnold is in Brooklyn. Hello, Arnold. Hello. Question, please. Does Thomas Kane or did Thomas Kane, the governor of New Jersey, have a mid-Atlantic accent? You know, that is a good one. I think absolutely he does. Thank you. May I plant a question with you for your anti-war colonel? Uh, which one? Colonel McGregor? Yeah. Uh-huh. It's a tactical question. He's going to want to talk about uh, pu- public policy instead of tactics. But anyhow, uh, will uh, cluster munitions be able to clear a modern minefield? Yeah, it's a good question. I will try to remember that. I don't know. We don't have anything scheduled uh, to speak uh, anything soon. But if you email me that, I will put that on the list for when we speak again. But uh, I'll, I'll write myself a note anyway. I'm not sure when we'll, we'll speak. Yeah, but the next military expert of any stripe that we have on, I will ask that question too. It's reasonable. Reasonable. All right. Uh, next hour, we'll take your calls and discuss truancy. Should parents be punished if their children skip school? We'll explore it. Yarn Phone Scouts. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's Frank Morano. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I am superstar Frank Morano. Well, you ever skip school? You ever skip a lot of school? Whose fault is it if you do? I think most people, and the younger the child, I think the more true this is, many people would say that the answer, if a child is chronically absent, is the parent's. What should the punishment be, if any, for parents whose children skip school? Well, in Missouri, more parents can expect to be thrown in jail if their children miss school after a court upheld prison terms, prison, for two mothers whose young children missed just over the course of the last year, how much school? Two weeks. Two weeks of school. The mothers, Tamari LaRue and Caitlin Williams, both from Lebanon, Missouri, were put behind bars for not ensuring regular attendance by their six- and seven-year-old children. And their appeal was dismissed um, a couple of days ago by the Missouri Supreme Court which insisted that the state did not have to define what regular means. No Missouri parent would conclude 
attendance on a regular basis means anything less than having their children go to school on those days the school is in session. That was the word from the judge. These moms were prosecuted by the school district, which demands an attendance rate of at least 90%. So what do you think about this? The kids were out for two weeks, and they're in jail for 90 days. I like the idea of holding parents accountable for their actions of a, of a six-year-old or a seven-year-old. What I don't like is the solution here. Now, the who's taking care of their children during the 90 days, the three months that they're in jail? And I don't know if these women work, but does it help anybody if these women are not able to work and pay their bills and pay taxes for three months? Instead, we have to pay for them by sending them to jail. So I have mixed feelings about this. On the whole, I don't think 90 days for the parent of a 6-year-old or a 7-year-old should be sufficient if they miss two weeks of school. I'm sorry. It just strikes me as too significant a punishment for too minor, and I realize two weeks of missing school is not minor, but too minor an infraction. I don't think the punishment meets the crime. What do you think? 800-848-9222, But um, actually, no, it's not 90 days. Okay, so one sentence, one prison sentence was for 13 days. Okay, that's a little bit more reasonable. That's a little bit more reasonable. So... Uh, LaRue was sentenced to 13 days after her son missed 15 days of first grade, while Williams was jailed for seven days after her daughter missed 16 days of kindergarten. Okay, so that's not 90 days. That's not three months. (laughs) Williams alerted the staff. That's one of the moms. Uh, Williams alerted the staff on some occasions, including dentist appointments, a bad cough, and a dose of ringworm. And LaRue, a mother of three other boys, also notified her son's school of some absences due to illness. But she began having panic attacks and fearing that she was being picked on in a state where almost a quarter of students attended school less than 90% in 2021. So uh, LaRue told the Wall Street Journal from the gas station where she works, I was busting my tail trying to make sure they had all the proof they need all the doctor's notes they need, calling them while at the eye doctor. And uh, nearly, at this point, nearly 600 charges have been filed by state officials for violation of Missouri's compulsory education law in the last five years. So is this a good solution? Child doesn't make school. And look, it sounds like a lot of these absences were legitimate, But if a child doesn't make school, has too many unexcused absences, should the parent go to jail? Why or why not? 800-848-9222-800-848-9222. Matt Blaze, you have anything you want to add? I think it was a little excessive. I don't think they should go to jail at all. I mean, hold the kid back. They get left back if if they miss too much school and don't meet the requirements. But it sounds like... It was legitimate reasons. If they went to the doctor, had a cough, ringworm, 
That's legit. What if the kid the kid is legitimately sick? Has well, to be out of school for two weeks. Well, that's where I think there are these references in this Wall Street Journal story to proof, doctor's notes, and so right. forth. I think if it's an excused absence, you're not going to jail. Um, but I don't think they got the proper documentation on some of these absences. I think that's the issue with these two mothers. And they appealed, and I think they were hoping that the courts would kind of give them a little bit of a break on the uh, on the penalty. But it was not to be. Uh, I don't like this as a as a punishment. The more I think about it, it's great that we want kids in school to throw the parents in jail. I just, especially this woman that works in a gas station, should she really miss two weeks of of work in order to go to jail? I don't think so. I don't think so. Eight hundred eight four eight ninety two twenty two. If you want to comment. It's 800-848-9222. And uh, let me say hello to Larry in Brooklyn. Hello, Larry. Yeah, Frank, it looks like you're batting a thousand. I disagree with everything you say. Wonderful. Almost. Great. I mean, I mean, you know, look, I mean, it's a slippery slope. If you, you know, if you do something that that's morally uh, turpitudinous, if that's the right word, they, there has to be a penalty. I mean, if you want to just let them go scot-free, then... And morality doesn't doesn't matter anymore. I mean, keeping kids home from school is 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 a morally wrong thing to do, and they should have no penalty whatsoever. No, That's no, I, I don't know. I don't know what the proper penalty is. I just jail strikes me as counterproductive uh, by not allowing these folks to work and take care of the family. I I, I am for a penalty. I don't think I don't think jail is the right one. Now, what is? I don't know. Is it a fine? Is it something else? I I don't know. I wish I had a better answer to that. But you like this, then? You w- would like to see this in in New York, for instance? Well, I don't know that I'd like to see people go to jail per se, but I would like to see the punishment fit the crime. If you could come up with a better punishment than jail, then be so be it. I don't believe in in uh, stocks or whipping or anything like that. No, neither do I. So I mean. I mean, so there's really not much left, you know. But uh, I also wanted to comment on um, on uh, the fact that you said you don't have you don't know how to throw a baseball, softball. No, I know how to throw. A you baseball. don't know how to throw a softball. I, yeah, I'm pretty surprised if you've been playing your whole life. Yeah, how do you know how to throw a softball? Well, I, again, because I, yeah, I think uh, as I as I said, Larry, I think I pl- I uh, played way too much first base, which gave me a poor throwing arm in general, and. I think because I'm so much more accustomed to throwing a baseball, I don't think I ever properly learned how to grip a softball because you have to kind of hold it with a wider portion of your of your hand than you do a baseball, which you hold with three fingers. Not to repeat everything I just said, but yeah. Right, 800-848-9222. What should the penalty be for parents of students with unexcused absences? In Missouri, you're going to jail. Good idea, bad idea, what say you? 800-848-9222. Kevin is in New Jersey. Hello, Kevin. Uh, yeah, Frank. Uh, jail time for 15 days of absence. I think that's ludicrous. I think if I grew up in Missouri when I was a kid, my dad would got the electric chair. When I was in the sixth grade, I missed 160 days. Whoa. What? Why? Why? Well, to be honest, uh, I was a delinquent. Well, they closed down my school 
And they shipped us to what we call the rich part of town. And the first two weeks of school, we went on strike asking for buses because it was, you know, it was pretty far. So they didn't give us the buses. We wound up losing on, you know, they didn't give us anything. So we had to go to school. So the teacher kind of like took it out on us kids from that, that school that we you know came from. And uh, to, to put it mildly, she wasn't very nice. And my father worked two jobs. He would get up at five o'clock in the morning and go to work. So we didn't have a lot of, you know, nobody was really watching us. We didn't have any supervision. So me and my brothers, we kind of skipped school and we did it a lot. Now, and they did, they took us to court. They took us to court three times that year. And uh, the, the final time they fined him $150, which was a lot of money to him at that time. I'm talking about 45 years ago. Oh, that sure. was a lot of money. So I felt horrible. It, it was like, you know, it was, because he was so upset. But my dad, he was a man of few words. We didn't even get, like, punished or anything. He would just say, go to school, Kevin, go to school. And, you know, what kind of a punishment is that? So we just wouldn't go, you know? Did you have any punishment at home after he had that $150 fine? Not even then, Frank. Really? Not even then. Yeah, I swear to you. Well, so Not even then. My- looking at it objectively, somebody may say, well, you know, if um, your your parents had done a, a little better a, a little bit of a better job disciplining you to make sure you'd go to school, maybe you wouldn't have skipped all that uh, that class time. Yes, correct. Absolutely. I believe that 100 percent. But my mom wasn't around. My mom was in an accident when we were kids. So she was she was paralyzed. She wasn't home. So uh, it was just my dad. And he worked all day, literally. Yeah. So, so there wasn't. And he he. If he would have been, you know, better, if he would have been punishing us more, we absolutely would have went. But he, he just he didn't do anything. So we figured we could just get away with murder. I mean, and you're a kid, you don't feel so bad about it. You know, now I look back on it and I feel so horrible doing that. Thing. Sure. Eventually, I did start going. I did. You know, we, we went to a, we moved out of that town. We went to a new school and I actually like school. So I, I did start going back. But at that time, I didn't even on my report card. It says Kevin attended school 22 days this year. We had like insufficient grades for him. So they had to have this big meeting for me of whether or not they were going to pass me. And and believe it or not, they did. So wait, did you have to go to summer school or anything? I didn't even go to summer that school. That is they incredible. Me, they said, if you if we keep you back, you're not going to come anyway. You don't like the school. You don't like the teacher. So we're not going to we're going to pass you on because I got all A's the 22 days that I was there. I did great. I got every test I took. I did good. So they said, you know what? It's obviously you're not stupid. You're not a dumb kid. So we're going to pass you on. And we moved out of that town anyway. So I wound up going to the seventh grade in another town and went because I kind of liked it a little bit sure. more there. There were a lot, of, a lot of girls and, you know, so well, my I, father. Yeah, no, that's, uh, would, that's terrific, Kevin. So, Kevin, in, in a situation like what we're seeing in Missouri, where there, the punishment right now is if you don't have 90% attendance, they can throw your parents in jail. What would you suggest as an alternative punishment? I mean, maybe a fine like they did to my father. Mm-hmm. I, 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 90%, that, that seems... I, I don't understand. That's not even that much. That, do you think that's a lot? I, I, and I think it was that many when I was a kid. I, don't, I remember you could have, I forgot how many days per cycle you could miss. I think it was like six days or something like that per semester. Yeah, and I, then I don't remember. I don't, I don't remember either. But so uh, you think a fine is a better way to go than jail time? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Jail is ridiculous. That's, yeah. that's unbelievable. Like I te- you said, how is she going to take care of? 
her kids and, and pay her bills and stuff if she's in jail. Right. I mean, that that's that's the biggest problem that I have with this. Hey, Kevin, great call. I'm gr- glad you're on the straight and narrow now. I'm glad your parents stayed out of the hooskow. <laughs> Thanks, Frank. Thank Cheers. you. 800-848-9222. Tom is in the Boogie Down Bronx. Hello, Tom. Yeah. Hi, Frank. Yeah, hi, I'll, I'll make it brief. I say uh, the Biden administration and the Democrats could get some good publicity if they would use the U.S. Army to rebuild a town in Hawaii that uh, Army personnel to rebuild a town in Hawaii that was destroyed by the fire in that area. And that would go for Haiti, that uh, Port-au-Prince needs to be rebuilt. There were allegations that the day that the earthquake took place in Port-au-Prince, there was some kind of technology from airplanes that we used, something they dumped in the sky that interreacted with the ground and caused that earthquake. But that's another story. But anyway, if they want some good publicity, what they I hope they're listening, what they should do is rebuild the town in uh, Hawaii and help Port-au-Prince out. Yeah, and that's uh, the way I feel about Tom, it. Tom, I think that's a fine idea, honestly. I mean, we, we are sent – thank you for the call. We're sending $20 billion more in aid, additional aid, to Ukraine, which is not a NATO ally. And you just think maybe we should be focused on rebuilding – our own country first. I know that's such a simplistic argument and it's an over oversimplification of some very complex problems. But I really do think a lot of people feel that way, that we should worry about America first, then worry about Ukraine. But um, the other thing you got to keep in mind when it come, comes to Hawaii, it's not a competitive state, right? If it were a competitive state in the general election, even though there's only a handful of electoral votes, I think you'd see more of a a movement to do what you're suggesting. And that's a shame that politics should motivate anything. But I do think that's the case. All right. 800-848-9222. John is in Sullivan County. Hello, John. John. All right. John's not there. 800-848-9222. Ted in Forest Hills. Hello, Ted. Yeah, I keep getting uh, called. Um, uh, I I think it's a little bit um, harsh to uh, put uh, the parents in jail, and uh, um, I don't think Hawaii should be rebuilt. The Democrats are not going to do anything that's not good for them. They don't care uh, what's good for the country. No, they care what's good for them. I haven't heard one Democrat, uh, with all the shenanigans go on, say they're not going to vote for Biden. I just don't understand why. They have nothing concrete to support him. And when they uh, trash Trump, they have nothing, I hear, concrete that he did wrong. I think he was the best president ever, and he should be reelected. Thank you very much. God bless you. God bless you, Ted. Thank you. I, I can't compete with can't compete with that, but uh, I think a, a lot of people probably feel that way. A lot of people probably disagree as well. All right, uh, on Facebook at facebook.com slash MoranoFan. There's a lot of good stuff on there. You can uh, see the Bigfoot video that uh, that is making the rounds that's gone viral. You can see the link to the uh, Tunnel to Towers 
Foundation and uh, my efforts to try and raise some money for them. And uh, you could see the uh, picture of Carmine that appeared in the New York Times this weekend after we ran the bases following a baseball game the other day. So that's all uh, it's all, all good, all on the Facebook page. You know, we were talking a little bit about this um, debate that's happening on Wednesday. I'm, try- I'm trying to nail down my brother Alexander. My brother Alex... Now I'm a little bit of a a sucker for gambling. I, I love I love a good bet. Even though, you know, the only good bet is to not make one, right? It's the only way you don't lose. But he was over my house maybe about two months ago with other members of our family, and he insists, insists that Chris Christie has a very good chance of being the Republican nominee for president. I said, Alex, Alexander, there is no way. There's no chance that Chris Christie's the nominee. I could even see a scenario where Trump's not the nominee. There's no scenario in which I could see Christie as the nominee. He said, no, no, I'm telling you, I'm telling you. So I said, Alexander, I said, I will bet you 10 dinners if you're right about this. Meaning you will go 10 to 1. If Christie is the nominee, I will buy you 10 dinners. And if Christie is not the nominee, if it's anyone else, you just have to buy me one. And he was going for it. But then my stepmother, she hears, you know, that I'm I'm committing to putting 10 dinners on the line. My wife, who knows my credit card bills, she hears that I'm betting $10 on the line, 10 dinners. She says, no, 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 no. It's too many, too many. They're saying, why don't you guys just bet one dinner. I said, that's not fair to Alexander because he's placing a bet that's so crazy. So this week, I see Christie has some movement in the poll numbers. So I, I, I kind of downplayed it. I said, because we never shook on it. We got to shake on it. I said, uh, well, well, I hope we can finalize the terms of our bet before uh, before it's too late. So I think that's where I think we settled on five to one, five dinners to one. If Christie is not the nominee, meaning I get one dinner, he gets five. I would bet him a hundred because there's no way Christie's the nominee. None. You could love him, you could dislike him. There's just no way. Steven is in the Boogie Down Bronx. Hello, Steven. Hey, yeah, Frank. Good morning. Uh, morning. I just want to say that we can't put criminals in jail. We shouldn't put the parents in jail for not the kids going to school. I believe we should probably have the parents participate maybe in PTA meetings or host a Girl Scout event, help out with Little League, something that gets them more involved in the school, you know, something more along those lines rather than jail time. Yeah, I like that. I like that. So maybe um, you have to do some sort of community service. If you're um, if you're the parent of a, of a child that's excessively truant, you have to do some sort of additional work, community service. But within the school, not yeah. go sweep the sidewalks down the street, but something within this education system, yeah. I like it. I like it, Stephen. I'll go along with that. All right, cool. Well done. See, we're solving all the world's problems here. If you want to weigh in, you could do so, 800-848-9222, 800-848-9222. We'll keep an eye on uh, Hurricane Hillary uh, seeing what level of uh, of damage it's doing in California, my uh, my brother-in-law who called in earlier 
He lives out there, and uh, he said that there's a river on his sidewalk. So it is what it is. All right. Um, we're going to bring you some. Gnome is not here today. So we're going to do a modified version of our spanning the world and uh, bringing you interesting news stories to comment on. We'll also try and squeeze in some of your calls as well. 800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. When some loud bragger tries to put me down and says this school is great, I tell him right away, now what's the matter, buddy? Ain't you heard of my school? It's number one in the state. Hey, hey, take it away. It's so a school. This is The Other Side of Midnight. We're going to bring you some stories from around the globe in just a minute. But a couple of you have been very patiently holding. We'll try and get to some of you. Let me begin with Jane in Queens. Hello, Jane. Hi. Good morning. I think it's absolutely absurd to think of punishing parents and putting them in jail. I think our government is really going – it doesn't make sense. It just doesn't make sense. In the schools, you have people, you have guidance counselors, you have social workers, you have teachers, you have deans, you have assistant principals, you have a whole staff of people, and they should be communicating with the parents and talking to them and bringing them in either on the phone or Zooming. But parents want what's best for their children. There's a reason why those parents are not sending those kids to school. And the thought that we have to punish them, the government has to punish them and put them in jail and arrest them, I mean, that, that's absurd. It's government overreach. I, uh, I think you're exactly right, Jane. I think you are exactly right. And aside from it uh, being government overreach, I think it creates all sorts of other practical problems, you know, with child care and with paying bills. I think you're absolutely right. Robert is in Suffolk. Hello, Robert. Hi, Frank. Hi, Robert. This is draconian, what they are doing for these women, okay, because they can lose their jobs. Next, they can lose their place to live and become homeless with their children. How yeah. fair do you think that is? I don't think it's fair. I think it's horribly unfair. And thank you, Robert. I appreciate that. I'd love to hear from someone that supports this um, and why. Especially, you know, we have a lot of listeners in uh, this part of the country, especially on Mondays when we're on KMOX. I'd love to hear from someone that's all for this. 800-848-9222. All right. I am going to bring you a few news stories that have caught my eye that uh, you might not have heard about elsewhere. And if you have heard about them, maybe not in this sort of detail. Uh, Javier Millet, a radical libertarian candidate, 
won Argentina's presidential primary, surprising pollsters and plunging October's election into uncertainty. Now, this fellow, Malay, is a real character. He's a lawmaker who has vowed to abolish the country's central bank. He thinks that climate change is a hoax and believes the sale of human organs should be legal. He has leveraged widespread anger over the mismanagement of the economy in Argentina and against the political establishment into his favor. You want to know how bad things are in Argentina? You think inflation is bad here? We got nothing on Argentina. Uh, Argentina's inflation rate is running at 115%. 115%. The peso has lost more than half its value in the last year. And uh, Malay said, or a supporter of Malay said, I'm very happy about this. We're looking for a change. So this would be a major departure from what we've seen in Argentina previously. Additionally, in um, what we're seeing out of China is, again, very interesting. The Chinese communists are basically running a a school for authoritarianism. The big story in Axios, the Chinese Communist Party is teaching African leaders its authoritarian alternative to democracy at its first overseas training school. This is the strongest evidence yet that Beijing is exporting its model of governing in its push to challenge the Western-led world order. The Mwalamu Julius Nyeri Leadership School in Tanzania, for instance, is Beijing's counter to efforts by the United States and other Western countries to shape African politics in a fight for influence in Africa. At the school... The Chinese Communist Party teaches how it fuses the ruling political party and the state, making a clear departure from Beijing's previous more subtle attempts to peddle influence on the international stage. This is overt. Cultivating an authoritarian-friendly bloc in Africa could help China totally reshape global institutions and guarantee certain markets as Western sanctions seek to isolate certain Chinese industries. Such a block might also help the Chinese communists deflect criticism for its human rights record. So, Chinese and African government officials and Chinese state media have, prevented the, have presented the school as a way to promote Africa's economic and social development, And they've cast the Chinese Communist Party's approach there as a way to alleviate poverty and spur economic development through training. Basically, this is institutionalized propaganda. Uh, Or it's a how-to propaganda guide, maybe is a a better way of of putting it. So Africa is going to be the next battleground. No doubt about it. No doubt about it. Hey, you remember Dracula? Well, Dracula, the real Dracula, Vlad the Impaler, or Vlad Dracula. Vlad the Impaler had some pretty serious medical issues. 
a chemical analysis of the letters of the legendary historical figure who inspired the vampire Dracula revealed that Vlad the Imperler may have, you ready for this? This is not a joke. This is true. He may have cried tears of blood, blood. Traces left behind on the paper by the 15th century ruler of Wallachia suggest he was afflicted by a condition known as hemolacria, which manifests as the presence of blood in tears. And he may have had skin and respiratory conditions besides that. So Vlad was certainly a towering figure in European history. His exploits are... uh, almost mythical, in particular the extremely bloody lengths that he went to in order to protect his land from multiple conflicts. It's not really known how many deaths he's responsible for, but most people estimate that it's over 80,000. And an estimated 20,000 of them were impaled on wooden spikes, among other forms of torture. Although, you know, his life has been well-documented and in many cases exaggerated, there are some details that we may never know. But uh, these letters are a treasure trove for historians. And in this case, it wasn't the contents of the letters that interested the researchers, but what secrets may have been left behind on the paper, the molecules and proteins that may have been transferred by human touch. These letters are over 500 years old now, and extracting material from them, like blood or tears or whatever, it could cause damage, which is not ideal for historical documents, but the recent development of a special film of ethylene vinyl acetate treated with ion exchangers and water-repelling resins has been used to promising effect. So we'll see where it goes, but uh, they say... He might have been crying tears of blood. Very interesting. And uh, also another missing uh, another missing piece of the historical record. In Switzerland, the body of a hiker that's been missing for 37 years has been discovered in a melting glacier. And the remains belong to a German hiker who went missing in 1986. And sure enough, this hiker who went missing 37 years ago has been discovered in a thawing glacier in the Swiss Alps. So the discovery was, they found that it was a body. The discovery was transported back to the hospital for forensic identification and further examination. And DNA analysts linked the remains to a German climber who disappeared in September 1986. This is so sad. I feel, you know, the guy was 38 years old when he was reported missing. So they don't really have any other information about the cause of death right now. But Swiss police said that receding glaciers have led to the discovery of other long-lost mountaineers and climbers whose disappearance were reported decades ago. So... I am not going in the Swiss Alps for one for that reason. I don't want to end up in a glacier. You gotta be kidding me. Sounds terrible. Sounds absolutely terrible. And uh I'll bring you one more. 
there was a, an, a speaking of Switzerland, there's an alien metal that has been discovered in Switzerland. Really, really interesting. The new analysis reveals an arrowhead found in the 19th century in the late Bronze Age. Um, they found this in Switzerland, and it was made of meteorite, meteoritic iron. So going back to the year 900 B.C., potentially, so the meteorite is that, that was in Estonia is proposed as a possible source of this iron. But an arrowhead made of this meteoritic iron from the late Bronze Age, it is incredible. That is a really impressive artifact. So, all right. Well, we'll have uh, some more fun news for you a little bit later. 800-848-9222 if you want to comment. 800-848-9222. Pete is on Long Island. Hello, Pete. Hi, Frank. Great show. Thank you. I was listening to you as as you were speaking about your brother in California. I was dropping off my daughter at the airport. She's heading out to California on business, and uh, she got out. So, I mean, she's on time, the flight, so it should be good. Oh, good. But, uh, yeah, no, I, your show is the best. You, you're you educated with a lot of, lot of things, local politics and everything. I love you. But I have a question. I don't know if you follow the, I think it's called the, the BRICS. That's uh, Brazil, yep. Russia, India, China, and South America, right? right? They're yep. trying to, they're trying to get away from our U.S. dollar, world reserve currency. And my question is, I think it's intentionally done. I don't, and like, it, it, it like pains me that our politicians, our leaders are so dumb that they destroyed our country with our debt and everything. And sometimes I think this is done intentionally to put us on like a digital currency to say like, look, look what happened. Uh, they, they, we have no choice. You know what I'm, you know what I'm saying, Frank? Is I do. It, I do. And me or? No, no. I think, um, I think a lot of people feel that way. Right. <clears throat> I think there's a lot of issues and, and, and thanks for the call, Pete. And I'm going to do the best that I can to answer your question thoroughly even though, you know, I don't pretend to be an expert on this. The people who are disgusted by Donald Trump or his equivalent in other places, like uh, Bolsonaro in Brazil, or even left-wing populists like Lula, or even, you know, other folks like uh, Ferdinand Marcos, the people that dismiss all these characters, Trump, um, and everyone else that I just mentioned, the new government in Italy, they fail to understand that Trump is a byproduct of how global elites have screwed the average ordinary person. And the when you're a factory worker that has lost his job, when you remember a time when a single parent could support an entire household, maybe with not even a college education, when you're, you get the impression that your country's best days were behind it, not ahead of it. You get someone like Trump 
that offers a prescription for solving it. So I think the people that dismiss Trump, they really do so at their own peril. Because I think what allowed Trump to, and Smirconish has said this to some point, uh, to some extent, and I think he said some version of it on this show, what allowed Trump to do well and resonate with people, and you, you notice during the campaign, no one saw Trump coming. They all said he wasn't going to run. This is 2016. Then they said, oh, even if he announces he's not going to run, then he'll never file the financial disclosure. He'll never do this. He'll never do that. He's not going to do well. And then he's not going to win the primary. Oh, then he's not going to win the general. They're wrong about everything because the elites that run media, business, and political circles live in a bubble that is totally separated from the world at large. And you mentioned a few issues there, Pete, as far as the American economy goes. I th- I think one, you aptly stated, one huge problem is the debt. And in this respect, we're our own worst enemy. Because you have one political party, primarily, primarily, one political party that wants to give away the store, that wants to play Santa Claus, that wants to give everybody whatever they want, uh, in order to get votes. And you have another party that also wants to do that, but not as much. And um, they also want to lower taxes for votes. So you have a situation where everybody in Washington and the and this equivalent state capitals, they basically, there's no desire to end this debt bomb that we're living in. Democrats want to spend, spend, spend. And Republicans want to spend also and cut taxes. And the problem, to some extent, is us. The American people have both a big government mentality and a low tax mentality. So I think that's part of the problem. And they've given away the store and you see the debt problem that we have created. Now, some of that obviously is understandable with things like COVID, but not $32 trillion worth. So that's that. Now. The other issue is the Federal Reserve. The Federal Reserve has been the, uh, as far as inflation goes, and this goes way, way beyond what Jerome Powell has done. This goes back probably even to Greenspan. The Federal Reserve has been both the chief arsonist and the head firefighter in terms of the economy. I think to some extent... They um, helped create these bubbles by allowing super low interest rates, negative interest rates in some cases. They created an economy that was a bubble machine. They created an economy that led to the dot-com bubble, the housing bubble, the everything bubble. And when these bubbles burst, they have real consequences. Now, I actually think the Federal Reserve is going too far in the other direction in raising interest rates and hurting average, ordinary, middle-class Americans that need to borrow. Now, is it intentional? I think certain things are intentional. Now, what you brought up, the BRICS countries. Tomorrow, there is going to be a major summit in South Africa. And a lot of people haven't heard anything about this. It hasn't been featured on the news necessarily. But the leader of these the uh, these BRICS countries are meeting in South Africa for a three-day conference to discuss 
aspects of a new international economic and financial system. Seventy nations are going to be in attendance. Twenty-three countries have already applied to join the BRICS summit. But it really, um, I can't blame Russia economically for wanting to seek an alternative, right? I mean, we, our reaction, and we can discuss whether it was the right reaction or, or not the right reaction, I think we'll probably have varying views, and there's a case to be made on either, either side. Our reaction to the Ukraine invasion of ramping up Russian sanctions, although I'll note we're still importing a ton of Russian uranium. That's the one thing. You can't buy Russian gas, but you can buy Russian uranium. Talk about inconsistent. Their reaction to the sanctions is, all right, well, fine. Now we have to find a way to get by in this economy without the United States. And you could certainly understand them looking for partners in some sort of alternative currency. So I hope that the dollar is able to remain the world's reserve currency. As far as your supposition that is this done intentionally to transition to a digital currency of some sort, I don't buy that. I don't buy that. Uh, It's not inconceivable. I don't see that yet. I don't see that yet. But it is a lot easier to just create money out of thin air when you don't actually have to print it when you could just print it with ones and zeros. So who knows? Maybe you're onto something. All right. Uh, 800-848-9222. Vito in Staten Island, you had a comment about uh, the situation in Missouri with these parents being jailed. What's your thought? Well, I I don't believe that they should be jailed, but there's something should be done. Okay. When I was a policeman in New York, uh, I had a case where a 13-year-old girl was pregnant, and she claimed that she was raped by a teacher in school, but she didn't know who the teacher was. So okay. we went to the school, obviously investigated it. The principal said, we, you know, we told the principal we were there for, and she turned around and said, you know, that could be possible if she came to school. So she gave me the child report uh, attendance card. That was in the springtime. I forget the years, a while back. Anyway, the, the kid may have been in school four days the whole year. There wow. was no, no excuses. All right. And I turned around and I said, well, it looks like this kid's going to get left back. The principal turned around and said, no, that's not going to happen because she got left back in kindergarten. So um, the mother had no excuse for anything. Now, if you miss school so many days, there's an automatic notification to CPS. So all you're basically doing is passing the buck to another agency to investigate. As far as the New York City Board of Education system, I feel it is nothing more than an overgrown daycare center that's how i feel about it so vito do you it sounds like you think maybe jail is an appropriate punishment for a parent no i don't think i don't think jail would be appropriate i mean they're not taking the kids away from the parents who aren't bringing their kids to school you have mothers and and, you know they're on welfare they're on the system they will not even get out of bed to walk their kids down but in the case of these two mothers in the case of these two mothers they are working 
Well, I think again, as I said, I don't think Joe is the answer. Right. That, that, okay. that never right. has been the answer. Yeah, I, I agree. I think but, uh, but, you know we're on the same page there, Vita. Thank you. And I, I hear your frustration on the education system in general. I, I get it. All right, we're gonna do 15 seconds of fame in a moment. If you want to be heard on any subject for 15 seconds. Give me a call right now, 800-848-9222, three open lines, 800-848-9222, straight ahead. It's the other side of midnight with Frank Morano. side of midnight i am frank morano and uh tomorrow we're gonna have a return visit from lee fang lee fang is one of the leading independent journalists in the country he's always great on this program we'll also go through your mail if you have any mail that you'd like to be read on the program please email me frank.morano at red apple audio networks.com that's frank.morano at red apple audio networks.com and I think we actually may speak with uh, Republican presidential candidate Hirsch Singh as well, the latest in our presidential speakers series. But first, let's give you an opportunity to speak for 15 minutes, shall we? 800-848-9222. The other side of midnight. This is 15 seconds of fame. Fred! Good morning, Frank. Not only do we want the flurry dories, but we want the $1,000 a minute. We want the thousand dollar. We want the thousand dollar. Rocco. Good morning, world, and WABC 77, the powerhouse network. Interest rates are going up, Frank, unfortunately. The Fed wants to plunge the economy into a recession. Jerry. One windmill, it takes 50 foot by 50 foot hole in the ocean floor and 125 or 150 concrete trucks. Does that sound environmental friendly, dumping all that concrete in ocean floor? No, it doesn't. David. Yes, regarding what they're doing in Missouri uh, with these moms, they seem to be targeting single moms, and this is just another example of targeting the poor, which is pretty sad. Thank you. Rusty. Yes, she did a great job interviewing that big windbag, Peter King. He did a great job. Why don't you do that instead of feeding them jello? William. Saturday, Anthony Weiner said no big deal that uh, Joe Biden had a bunch of aliases, but he used them to communicate with the Ukrainian oligarchs who he said he didn't know anything about. What's going on here? Roger. While conservatives continue to moan, groan, and complain, Radical Democrats, by hook or by crook, with pots and pans, go out and get things done. That slams the lid on things for today. Frank Moreno, good day.